Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy, Marty Bent, here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting down with two gentlemen from the Shored Bits team. Uh, if you freaks remember last week's rabbit hole recap, uh, Matt and I talked about uh, the discrete log contracts demo that they put out. Uh, and if you remember correctly, we did a pretty poor job of describing uh, what they were building. So they were in town this week, uh, headed to BitDevs tonight. And they swung by the studio last night. We had some coffee, some whiskey, some water. And we discussed all their building at Short Bits. It's a pretty robust, robust product suite that they're working on there. Um, really cool backstory, too, on how Short Bits came to be. Uh, long episode, uh, over two hours. I think you guys are really going to like this. I learned more uh, in this episode than I have in quite a while on this podcast. So it was a very enjoyable uh, conversation for me. I think you guys are going to like it, too. This episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. You freaks already know all about them. And if you don't, let me tell you about them, all right? They're doing many things to help you save money, to help you stack sats, and now to help you stack stocks, all right? First, they got their boost program. Uh, you sign up for the Cash App, use the code stacking sats, then you get your boost card. You get a little personalized debit card, accepted anywhere. Visa's accepted, and they have their partner boost. Uh, you initiate your partner merchant boost, and you go spend some money there, whether it be your local coffee shop, uh, there's a $5 off of any grocery store boost hovering around there every once in a while. They got Nike, Chipotle, uh, DoorDash, a bunch of other. They're always cycling through. So make sure you're checking your boost. When you go to the merchant uh, with your boost on, you use your boost card, you save some money. So they're helping you save money that way. They're helping you stack sats. All right. They're helping you use one of the best saving technologies to ever exist Bitcoin. All right. You can stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats if you so please on the app. Uh, you can do that. And then on top of that, they're helping you stack slivers of stonks, right? If you want to get into the stonk market, all right, probably not the best week. Eh, maybe if you're buying dips, if you think this dip's going to go up, this is not financial advice. This is, a, this is an ad read, all right? Cash App is letting you invest in stonks and slivers of stonks, all right? So if your favorite stock is a little too expensive, you can buy as little as $1 because there's no four to five day waiting period on the Cash App. You can start investing today. Cash App Investing is a subsidiary square and member SIPC. All right, freaks, use the code stacking sats when you download the app. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our friends Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls with an O. Very good organization out of Chicago. Nothing to do with Owls Lacrosse. That's come back. Enjoy this episode. Again, Chris and Dadav, uh beast out there. Short Bits is one of the most underrated companies in the space, in my opinion. They're building dope shit. They're helping educate Bitcoiners. Uh, and they helped educate me last night. So here's our conversation. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a rainy Tuesday afternoon. It's Tuesday. Tuesday. I'm losing, I'm losing track of my days here, boys. Um, very excited for this. If you freaks listen to Rabbit Hole Recap, 
last week. I'm going to post this tomorrow. So is last week at this point. Um, we talked about short bits and their experimentation with discrete log contracts, particularly their uh, prototype and demo. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And they launched, uh, Matt and I, me particularly did a pretty terrible job of describing it. So, uh, the short bit team is in New York this week. So figured we'd sit down and actually get some good information here. I'd like to introduce you freaks to Chris Stewart and Adolf Cohen. Hey, welcome to Iowa boys. (laughs) Yes, sir. Chris was just describing to me how he grew up on a uh, dairy farm. Let's dive into that. What was that like? <laughs> How'd you go from dairy farming to Bitcoin? Uh, there's a there's a very direct relationship between dairy farming and Bitcoin. No, um, uh, you know, I grew up. You know, you don't get to pick where you're born at, and I was fortunate enough to be born on a dairy farm, and uh, definitely have seen you know different aspects of life compared to most people that I interact with. Uh, yeah, I think it's here in the tech scene. I think it's a lot different than a Philly boy, a Philly experience. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you grow up and just things are different. Like, you know, as we, as we were talking about before, it's like, you're kind of out in, you know, very rural parts of America. You know, you got your land, which is, you know, kind of held as sacred. It's our land. What are you doing on our land? Like, this is, you know, we can kind of do whatever we want with our land. Um, and you know, you also have this like independence streak when you live on a farm too. Like you actually, you know, need to do, you, you, you aren't reliant really on other people, um, you don't have anyone to look over to. It's like, can you please do that? It's like, no, you've got to do it at the end of the day and take responsibility for, you know, things that happen on the, the farm. What, uh, what was, what's it like milking cows? <laughs> How many cows did you guys have? Oh man, there? we're getting into the, or do you have, does your family still has a farm? Uh, no. So actually, uh, I like to, I like to joke about this, but, uh, I went to college in 2010 and uh, my dad actually sold the cows in 2011 after his best employee left the farm. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so he, he just does crop farming now and uh, he, he doesn't have uh, any animals anymore, any uh, uh, dairy cows. So, um, but milking a cow is quite the experience. Yeah, everybody should do it at least once. <laughs> I think uh, now we're talking, I want to own a farm one day with cows and cattle particularly. Yeah. Beef cows or dairy cows? I'm hoping beef. beef. I'm beef. hoping beef. Yeah. Much less work. I, want, I need to learn how to butcher. I need to get okay with blood first. Yeah, that's... Because uh, yeah, you haven't talked about the smell. Oh, yeah. The, the <laughs> smells are wonderful. It's... Uh, uh, it's uh, something you get Something you become it? accustomed to, I guess, is probably the best way. But you know what's the most shocking thing? is Cow like you, you grow up on a dairy farm, and you're just basically used to it. And then you go back, and it's like, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. What did I do this? Man, this is uh, pungent. <laughs> All right, before we get to your transition from dairy farming to engineering, and particularly engineering for Bitcoin, Nadav, what was your Iowa experience like? Yeah, I, I had a very different Iowa experience. I grew up in Iowa City, which is a college town, as... Chris knows because he went to college there. Um, And uh, both of my uh, parents had graduate degrees and worked in the sciences. My dad was a chemist. My mom does genome sequencing. And so I, uh, they they actually both grew up in agricultural places though as well, like on farms doing stuff. So I, uh, was still treated with a lot of independence, unlike a lot of people in in Iowa City. Well, I don't know. I don't want to generalize for everyone in Iowa City, but I felt like I uh, didn't have most of the normal like cultural restrictions of like be home by 
you know, mm-hmm. some reasonable hour, etc. They let you live. Yeah. <laughs> did you uh, wind up going to Iowa too? I did. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So how did you guys find Bitcoin? We'll start with you, Chris. Uh, well, the the bowels of the internet, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So I was doing a internship in 2013 at uh, an insurance company, and uh, like most other people, came across it on the internet. The price had gone up to like I think 200 bucks at the time. It's like, oh, what's what's this? And like, you know, read about it for like maybe a day or two. It's like, I don't understand this, and it sounds like a Ponzi scheme. Uh, so like. <laughs> Threw it away. Then, like, you know, November of 2013 came back around. I'm like, oh, this shit's still popping, like, still happening. And, uh, you know, the price went up to $1,000. And I'm like, I was getting a math and CS degree at the time. I'm like, well, like, I can actually maybe, like, see if this is, like, totally, like, just a scam or if it's a real thing. I started, like, looking deeper into, you know, like, what the ideas behind Bitcoin uh, were like the story behind it with, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto, like how this code base is open source. You can actually audit this stuff and kind of just kept reading, kept reading, kept reading. And uh, now I find myself here and what's scary to say is 2020 uh, still <laughs> working on Bitcoin, I guess. So uh, seven years, uh, I guess it goes by that quick. Really quick. That's about like when I found it. Yeah. And what were you? We were young men back when we, we found were. Bitcoin. <laughs> Now we're old curmudgeons. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what kind of software engineering were you doing before you found Bitcoin? Just- well, uh, so I worked at an insurance company, just basic like Java stuff. They, you know, the insurance company was State Farm, huge uh, behemoth of an insurance company. And I was just a small Never heard of them. machine. Yeah. Jake from State Farm. Jake, uh, uh, yeah, I was drinking about that. those LOCs. <laughs> yeah, so um, nothing too interesting there, but... Um, the backstory of Sherdbits actually kind of uh, came out of that. Um, it was the winter of wait, winter of 2014, spring of 2015. Uh, I pitched a startup accelerator in California called Boost VC, and uh, the first idea behind Sherdbits was becoming an insurance company for Bitcoin. So exchanges, you know, they have all these Bitcoin on their balance sheet. It'd be really great if they could have insurance policies for that. That was the original idea coming from an insurance company. It's like, oh, yeah, this like makes sense. Um, found out that the regulatory requirements for being an insurance company and the capital requirements for being an insurance company are extremely steep. And that is still kind of not a solved problem in this space. So um, pivoted short bits after that, went and focused back to kind of my technical roots, which is kind of, I guess, what we're here today talking about. So that makes sure bits make a lot more sense now. Yes. Sinadav, yeah. uh, how did you find Bitcoin and end up at short bits? Uh, yeah. So those are actually the same thing, uh, those two questions. <laughs> and <laughs> so I uh, was at the University of Iowa uh, doing math computer science. And I was doing um, some research with a professor in the CS department who had had Chris and who Chris keeps up with. And uh, I was... Uh, graduating uh somewhat abruptly i made the decision to graduate when i did um and kind of just applying to various jobs and the professor who was uh overseeing my work came up to me and was like hey what are what are your plans you know just kind of conversational and then he mentioned that you know he had a past student who was like looking for you know good software engineers i could put you in touch and i'm like well my only requirement is that i want to live in boulder so if that's a possibility I'm, I'm down for it. And so I met Chris at like, 
an Iowa City Java house. Just like he was wearing like a Vikings t-shirt. It was super chill. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, we just chatted uh, about various CS things. And I, I read the Bitcoin white paper in preparation for this uh, meeting slash did interview. You, did you think it was a scam too? <laughs> <laughs> I guess, I mean, it's not that I hadn't heard of Bitcoin beforehand. I just hadn't really given it any thought. I uh, n- didn't have too many financial or business inclinations prior to this. My plan had been to get a PhD in math since I was like a freshman in co- uh, high school. So it uh, kind of just happened. And then I met Chris and took took the job at Sherdbits and began learning what Bitcoin was after that. There's a lot of hard math in Bitcoin. Did you find? Um, not the cryptography a, side. Don't yeah. get them started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cer- certainly there is. Uh, yeah, it's it's not really where you start though. I, I feel like, um, but uh, there's a Bitcoin's what you make of it. I guess. So. I like that. Cer- oh. Certainly, I've I've found myself in a place where I'm reading plenty of math papers. Yeah. It seems like you're building dope shit too. I really liked the uh, discrete log contracts demo that you put out last week. Yeah. Obviously, wrote about it, talked about it a little bit. But before we get to that, let's talk about short bits. Pivoted away from an insurance company, and now yes. you guys got a sick suite of products. It looks like, and your ethos seems to be that you want Bitcoin to succeed. You think Lightning is a good way to make that happen, and you're creating uh, implementations, libraries, and messing around with. Uh, I don't want to call it futuristic tech, but tech <laughs> that is not widespread within Bitcoin yet. Well, um, I think, uh, you know, our big bet is on lightning and, uh, you know, our kind of core product, what I feel like is data for, uh, payments over lightning for data. Um, I'm a believer in anything that's kind of digitally native in exchange for cryptocurrency generally. Um, like so, a machine payable web type thing. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. So like, and then thinking about, okay, what kinds of data have inherent value to them? Uh, financial data is one of those things that has inherent value to it. As we see in the traditional finance space, uh, people pay a lot of money for data, um, certain sets of data anyway. And, uh, you know, I think where we're going to see the space go to is, you know, the same thing with crypto exchanges right now, give away a lot of their data for free. Um, you know, my pitch to exchanges is you should be setting up a lightning paywall for this stuff and charging for that as well as an additional revenue stream. Uh, I'm a believer in the long term. We're going to see competition between exchanges really heat up. So you're going to look, have to look for other uh, sources of revenue. But in the short term, like where we're at with lightning is we just need to get more lightning adoption. And so like whatever we can do to uh, kind of facilitate more lightning adoption is what we're interested in doing. So uh, kind of over the last couple months, we're maybe up to a year at this point. <laughs> Quite a while. Uh, we've been writing a lot about like, you know, how do you operate lightning at scale? Like what are the unique problems that, uh, you know, big businesses have on lightning, ha- have on lightning that maybe if you're just kind of a hobbyist operator that you uh, wouldn't run into. So that's another kind of active area of research that um, we've been working on uh, over at Sherdbits and we've written a blog post series and I'll be talking about that at BitDevs uh, tomorrow night as well. So, Dope. And Lightning's what, two years old now? Are you happy with its progress up to this point? I mean, it, I think one of the biggest milestones in 2019, I think this happened in 2019, was Bitfinex uh, spinning up a Lightning node. Um, I firmly, or I don't think it's a 
controversial point to say that most commerce that happens on cryptocurrency networks today, it flows through exchanges. So if you really want to see any product adopted, you need to get the exchanges on board for that. So um, we want to see Lightning adopted widely as a technology. We kind of have our business model riding on that. So we need to you know, play a part in that ecosystem of getting exchange operators comfortable with the security model of this stuff, like how uh, liquidity flows around the Lightning Network, the privacy stuff, the regulation stuff, um, all these kind of like questions that are still kind of open questions in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's still coming together. Like we were talking to Jack Mahlers a few weeks ago and he was just explaining like the, like in the way I described what he was explaining is like we're still discovering the edges of this network and how it works and best mm-hmm. practices and he was describing how maybe the way he made Olympus wasn't wasn't the best for there was trade offs you make right when yeah. it comes to privacy and um, taxability. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, me and Jack in general agree a lot on the financial use cases of Lightning um, in kind of like the specul speculation sense. Uh, I think that's going to be an air. I think that's a pretty uncontroversial area that Lightning is going to be successful in. Um, at least payment channel technology, like. What I find when I talk to people about Lightning is they often think, <laughs> I, I was trying to get a well-formulated I thought here, like coming into this, because it's like a really nuanced thing. It's like almost when every blockchain technology thing, like people just think of it as like technology. But with the Lightning Network, they think of it as like a network. Whereas I almost think with the Lightning Network, you should be also just be thinking of the fundamental technology it is, which is like instantly settled transactions with like little to no counterparty risk. Um, and keyword, it or, or the key point there is it's just faster than everything else. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, like point blank, just say that faster clearing of payment, Bitcoin payments. Like that is great. No 10 minutes. We're talking seconds. I'm a happy Lightning user, we set like I've said this many times on this podcast. Like I set up our store node um, for the TFTC merch store and our shout outs and all that on our website, our website store, our website node. Excuse me, it's worked flawlessly. Like I just opened a couple. I mean, we're not like a huge economic actor in the space. Mm-hmm. We don't have crazy amount of money flowing through our Let's site. Let's change that, guys. Go to tftc.com.io <laughs> or .io. .io. .dot com's taken. Help Marty stack those millisats. The millisats, yeah. It's a, we, we got the dime bag, you guys. It's not <laughs> quite millisats, a lot more, but um, it's actually crazy. Uh, 91% of our transactions through the site have been via Lightning. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, but it makes up like uh, 23% of the value or something that's like that. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe even less than that. I pulled those up the top of my head. I have the spreadsheet somewhere, but um, people are using it. People like experimenting with the dime bag particularly. But again, going back to my original point, like it's, it's just worked for me. Mm-hmm. But even with that being said, it has its pain points, right? So what sure. do you think uh, is most pressing for the Lightning Network to solve in the short to medium term? So I think, again, I want to draw distinctions between like smaller node operators in like large entities would be operating on the lightning networks. I do feel like there are different problems for those sets of people. Um, what we've written about a lot, uh, over this past year is, you know, if you're an exchange using lightning custody funds on the behalf of, you know, other users, security is 
number one story, right? Yeah, and you guys just launched a product that helps with redundancy. So that's another thing, but I, 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 I just want to um, kind of talk specifically on the private key management stuff here. Mm-hmm. So um, Lightning is a little bit different than a traditional Bitcoin hot wallet um, in the sense that and why I bring this up is exchange operators, they're comfortable with the idea of a hot wallet. They understand they have these collection of keys. These keys control uh, UTXOs and you got to keep the keys secure. You got to make sure that the addresses that your customers input and flow through your system don't get changed somehow on the way to like, you know, your actual signing logic. Um, those like code paths are very important. With Lightning, um, instead of having to worry about this one key, you have to worry about six different keys. Um, so some of those keys can be hot keys. Some of those key, or some of those keys must be hot keys. Some of those keys can be cold wallet keys, and like this is something that I think, uh, you know, before we wrote about it initially, hadn't really been considered before. Um, I know there's a couple guys out in San Francisco now that are I think actively working on it. Uh, Ken Sedgwick and uh, Dev Random are their names, but um, that security story just from handling funds on Lightning, if you're going to be dealing with, I mean, I think hundreds to thousands of Bitcoin on a Lightning node someday, like you need to have that story uh, pinned down and you need to um, get these uh, professional security professionals that operated these exchanges comfortable with that story. So um, we wrote a blog post probably in the June timeframe of last year, just iterating or looking through these different keys, explaining what the key's for, what the purpose is, and then what can happen if that key's compromised, like what funds can be stolen from uh, your Lightning node if they get a hold of this key, but they didn't maybe compromise another key, like what's the doomsday scenario in this uh, channel. So just a really thorough, like thinking through uh, yeah, these different scenarios and trying to uh, um, promulgate that that information to the wider community. I didn't know there were six keys I had to protect. Keys and secrets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the commitment or per commitment secret is. Yeah, yeah so let's describe the keys. What are? <laughs> okay, here we go. Let's see if I can remember them <laughs> off the top of my head. So we got the pop fun- quiz. The f- <laughs> pop quiz. I guess I did lead myself into it. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, we got the funding private key, yeah. which just means uh, lightning channels are in a multi-sig output. Uh, Marty, if you and me are in a lightning channel, you would control one of those private keys. I would constr- control the other private key. So it's our HTLC. No. no. Those are different. That is, the, <laughs> that, that is the collateral that's backing our lightning channel. Okay. So like, let's say... We opened a channel. So we're talking about the opening and closing function. Exactly. So like, let's say I want to open a channel with you or the TFTC store. I put up one Bitcoin in the channel because I'm going to be sending you a lot of sats. Wumbo. And uh, that would be the the funding private key is the thing that controls that two of two output from my side. And you would also have one. Um, The next key is the two remote key. So this is like getting into... I want to try and not hopefully get too far in the weeds here. We'll see how I get as far in the weeds as you I, need to see how I do. So and, and check him on the blog post because that's yeah. what that should be your source of truth, not this podcast. <laughs> just yeah. to be clear. On a t- on a Tuesday after waking up at three in the morning. But so okay, so there, there's the two remote key. So what this means is if you go to the chain with your commitment transaction, I can take that money immediately and send my rightfully earned money back to myself. 
So that is the key that controls that output on your commitment transaction. Okay. So lightning's hard to explain because there's these ideas of these asymmetric commitment transactions that are going on. Uh, symmetric. Yeah. yeah. Symmetric. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, the, the next key is the two local key. So on my commitment transaction output with that represent my rightfully earned Bitcoin, uh, the two local key is how you claim money uh, after the time lock expires when I close out a lightning channel. Okay. So that's three. Yeah. There is the HTLC base point secret, which is what you were kind of referring to earlier. When one of these HTLCs is flying around the network, we're transferring funds, we get caught in this weird state where an HTLC is hanging off a commitment transaction and one of us go to the chain, you use that private key to claim funds in the HTLC itself. So that can be a, and that can be a cold key. The two local key can be cold and the two remote key can be cold, right? So the uh, three yeah, keys yeah. we've talked about actually can be yeah, the, cold, these are, I believe. These are keys you send funds to, not spend yeah. from. So. so the funding private key must be hot. The two local, two remote, HTLC base point secret keys can be cold. And okay, what a uh, per commitment secret that is the thing that enforces the revocation penalty mechanism. Chris on just Lightning. had his eyes closed, he's visualizing. <laughs> I am visualizing. <laughs> I, have a talk, I have a talk about this in Germany too. I'm like, he's just picturing truth. <laughs> yeah, I know blog. exactly. <laughs> Photographic memory, don't no. Um, that's the thing that enforces the penalty mechanism. That has to be hot. Uh, it's not a private key per se, but it kind of functions as one. And what is the last one I am forgetting? Too local, too remote, HTLC base. Is there a timeout one I'm forgetting? Oh, man. Oh, well, this I is what happens when you spot. do it live and, <laughs> well, don't, and don't rehearse before. While you're thinking of that, Dov, I think that comment you made is, so is it split, the cold, hot uh, keys split between spending and sending? So um, all of the cold keys... All of the cold keys uh, only receive funds because anytime you need to send, spend funds from somewhere, you need to sign with those keys. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of the hot keys do other things too. And this is why I kind of said keys and secrets is uh, not all of them are keys in the traditional sense. Some of them are secrets. So for example, the per commitment secret uh, is you generate for every single update of your commitment transaction, whether that's adding one HDLC or adding 10 or reverting one or whatever you're doing. Every time you update your commitment transaction, you generate a new per commitment secret. Um, and uh, at all times, you have one per commitment secret that only you know, and your counterparty knows all of your previous per commitment secrets. And part of the update mechanism is you reveal it to the counterparty. So obviously, once it's been revealed, it's not private information anymore. It doesn't matter if that gets leaked. So this is kind of like a hot temporary key mm-hmm. that uh, only lives for the length of the next update. And um, just, is the last key to, is that what you mix with the per commitment secret in the penalty scheme but now I for the life of me I can't remember what it's yeah, actually it's, called it's probably one of those it's uh, like delayed tricky delayed, delayed payment bit yeah. base point or something uh, like that. Yeah. you're right you're right yeah there's another base point um, um, I can't remember yeah <laughs> I mean so like this is like part of the problem with lightning is like if you if you go to you know serious economic entities with this stuff and just being like oh hey there's like six private keys like wait which ones can be cold which yeah. ones can be hot we like, do study ooh. this before we talk to them so that we like actually <laughs> have it prepared um, yeah and like so like this is like 
where we're trying to move the ball forward on this conversation of like, you know, how do we understand the security model of Lightning? Like, if you want to put, you know, funds like serious amounts of funds in these things, like, how do we get you comfortable with that? And uh, and does comfort come with abstracting that away? Well, I mean, can I, you abstract I that away in for, a GUI or something like that? Or? Well, for these security professionals that I guess we kind of have in mind, it's they very much want to be custodying their own funds. Uh, they do have like a savior Coinbase. Um, and you work on the security team there, you need to understand this stuff. Like any, anything that is, uh, you, you don't want to be outsourcing to a third party unless you've decided to wholesale, just BitGo, take my funds or whatever. Yeah, but is there something like, so I'm, I'm thinking of Caravan that Unchained drop for multi-sig and that software, I still control that whole process, but it's just made a lot easier. Mm. So um, I would imagine that lightning operates at a speed that maybe isn't conducive to that because again like uh, speed kills in some senses with security stuff right like mm-hmm. you're moving money very quickly you need these keys accessible very quickly to be able to update your lightning transactions which is at odds with what common security practices in the space are of i want to move slowly keep my keys as far away from the internet as possible, um, have, you know, uh, uh, only a little bit of money online. Um, so there, there is kind of this, uh, uh, ethos friction. Yeah. Not yeah. Ethos, there's there's this kind of trade off here. And yeah. again, it's not that exchanges can't do this. I mean, they, they already operate wallets with thousands of Bitcoin in them already. It's just a matter of, educating explaining like getting them comfortable with this stuff and uh just like uh we had to do you know in the 2012 2013 era of like talking about how do you operate a hot wallet properly yeah it's a big learning curve man yeah i mean and like this and it's changing all the time too. yeah i mean and this is something we again like think that is very important for like widespread lightning adoption and this is table stakes like this is this is, you know, we put this in our Lightning 101 blogs post series for exchanges because, like, that's the first question you should be asking if you're a responsible custodian of people's funds. It's like, how do we safely operate this stuff and minimize as much counterparty risk as possible? So, all right, so answer that question for us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's uh, so, you know, our kind of plan of attack is to attempt to reduce the problem down to or reduce the number of keys first off that have mm. to be hot like that's just yeah that, that makes things Easy a lot one. simpler when you have to reason about less keys and then with the keys that must be hot like you we need to try and fit that into their existing wallet signing flow infrastructure uh so uh they can hopefully just leverage security practices that they have already with key handling stuff so yeah. um is there like a monetary thresholds too that come into play? Like, I'm not sure what you mean. Like how, how much, how many sats do you hold mm. in a particular? Well, this is, um, so yeah. So yeah, I mean, there, there, there of course is the consideration of, you know, you don't want an excess amount of capital on your lightning node. Just again, following good security hygiene practices of, you know, don't keep money on a hot wallet that you don't need to keep money on a hot wallet. Um, with trade flows that, you know, you see through exchanges, like, I don't know what that number is. And like, this is just, 
I mean, for all of us, it's picking a number out of a hat at this point because we don't really have a whole lot to go off of in terms of data so far. Um, I think we'll see, you know, large capital transfers between exchanges by traders looking to arbitrage between exchanges. Um, I also don't think those things are going to be happening on the public lightning network. I think those will probably be private channels between exchanges, maybe with some liquidity, private liquidity providers put in there. Um, but again, this is all stuff that, you know, we're, we're kind of all speculating on at this point because only Bitfinex has adopted Lightning as a withdrawal and deposit mechanism uh, so far, at least out of the big exchanges. Yeah, no, and I completely agree with that. Like the R being between exchanges, the uh, utility that Lightning provides with that use case particularly will drive people to adopt this, I think. Yeah, I mean, I you know, like we wrote... Um, See, we wrote a blog post a couple weeks ago about like just basically how people transfer capital in crypto right now. And it's like if you have fiat currency, you got the Silvergate Exchange Network. If you've got uh, if if you've got stable coins, you can you know transfer like Gemini Dollar, Coinbase, USDC, Tether. Um, but those coin transfers are limited by how fast the underlying blockchain can confirm funds. So you're an ERC-20 token, you still need to be confirmed on the Ethereum chain. If you are, uh, if, if you're on the Bitcoin blockchain, you still need to be confirmed on the Bitcoin blockchain. So, you know, we're roughly talking tens of minutes here. Um, with, uh, you know, an iter- or a step in the right direction is liquid with what Blockstream's offering. But that's still a minute, right? Say it again? That's still a minute, right? Exactly. And that's, I mean, again, it's an order of magnitude improvement but we can still go another order of magnitude improvement with lightning. So um, liquid is still interesting in the fact that you can do stable coins on top of liquid with lightning is my understanding. And you can probably also have kind of like a simpler security model for transactions where a minute is okay. But obviously if you're trying to like do ARB, that's just not going to be really I mean it's a long time yeah I mean if everybody else can transfer at a second and you're transferring in a minute like it's if you are latency sensitive I guess sometimes you aren't yeah um, but if you're not it right tool for the certainly right seems like uh, there's some cases where that would definitely be the way to go yeah no and it's again like I think it's inevitable just because the utility provided um, is such like it's so big that people will figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, and this is you know, being in Chicago, it's you know, go talk to some trading firms that operate in the crypto space and say like you know try and make both ends of the market meet. You know, talk to the exchanges, be like, hey, this is what traders can do with this. Go talk to the traders, be like, hey, this is what you can do with this too. Um, trying to sell that, I feel like a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of technology in this space and it's hard to stand out because I think a lot of people can't tell what's vaporware and what's like actually here and I think that's a shame because lightning is like again is a technology works today and you can use it yeah that's what, like <laughs> I had some trolls in my mentions the other day like, <laughs> like hopping in my ethereum thread from that started in 2017 about them transitioning <laughs> to proof of stake not transitioning to proof of stake and they were like oh what about lightning i was like it works like i use it every day like, <laughs> what are you talking about it's here yeah um i i don't know what's gonna happen over the long term we'll see how technology emerges but i really i always like to say this is like i i have a lot of respect for the bitcoin developers in that 2015 2016 era of it was I think, dark it was dark it was gloomy 
um, I was in Iowa <laughs> and, uh, um, the, uh, you know, the developers really had a great view on how to scale the system and like what the fundamental principles of were, uh, of a blockchain were. And like, even, you know, I didn't understand that the time and thoughts, like, yeah, let's just do this. Like, why not? Why are we causing a big hubbub about this? And I think it's really paid off over the long term. And I, you know, I, I'm very bullish in the direction Bitcoin's heading specifically. Me as well. And actually, you're, I think this mindset and uh, more importantly, the creativity of the developers working on the protocol level, level is rubbing off on people developing on Lightning Network too. Because I saw Alex Bosworth tweeting about, or he wrote it in his newsletter, uh, about updating commitments once we get a Schnorr signatures. And a lot of people thought we were going to have to, uh, channels are going to have to shut down and mm. you're going to you're gonna have like a little bit of chaos on the Lightning Network. But it seems like at least he believes that it, it may be possible to do that on the go. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, fundamentally, like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you know much about this, but yeah, you I can honestly, the tweet in question, you can, or honestly, blog or you can have the old, old HTLC scheme and the new like PTLC scheme running concurrently, can't you? Uh, yes and no. I mean, you can't route a PTLC through nodes that only know how to use HTLCs and stuff like that. So it's, it's not simple, but certainly it's doable to have a smooth transition. I mean, we've got version bytes everywhere just waiting to be updated. <laughs> like, we thought ahead when we made this. No one thought that this was going to be the final version of Lightning. So what do you mean by that, the version bytes in place? Uh, so, you know, anywhere you look uh, in the Lightning protocol, there's hardly a message to be seen anywhere that doesn't have a version byte involved with it. Um, and... Uh, is that yeah. similar to version bit at the protocol level where you just... Oh, yeah, yeah, version bit, version byte. Yeah. Uh, essentially just like a, a tag to say like how you should interpret this that is updatable mm -hmm. and where, you know, you know if it's something new that you don't know about rather than just like being completely confused. Um, and there's also kind of this uh, notion in the lightning spec that it's okay to be odd, meaning if you receive a, an odd version byte or bit that you don't um, understand, like if the number for that version is odd, then you can safely ignore it. And if it's even, then you're supposed to like shut down, like do, do not talk to that person. Um, and that's kind of like the, t to make us, I mean, this is a bad analogy, but like hard forks versus soft forks, like you can update to make things break by using even version bytes and uh, odd version bytes that's okay to live with uh, without understanding what they are. And yeah, just generally uh, we've, I, I like to think that the, the lightning spec has been built in such a way that it is changeable uh, with some effort, but uh, doable. No, that I like that analogy. It makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about like the different lightning implementations to these butt heads a lot. Um, <laughs> are they going to live? Well, uh, are they going to co cohabit with each other? Well, I think that's a that's an interesting question. I think uh, you know each of them have their kind of own vision of where they want lightning to go, and like this is um, you see like some features being incorporated in other nodes or in some implementations that aren't necessarily supported in other ones. And you know each of these teams have a limited amount of engineering resources, so you kind of got to pick and choose. Um, I am hopeful that we can keep this core protocol together and keep the interoperable nature of Lightning while maybe having features enabled with certain sections of the network. 
Um, so like if, uh, say, LND has some new feature that they've come up with, they can implement it using a bunch of odd version bytes where they are not working under the assumption that everyone implements this. They only communicate with other nodes that do, and you can signal for features that you support on the network in your gossip. Um, and so, you know, your LND nodes can f maybe at some small privacy loss, at least, you know, just to test stuff out, you can find other LND nodes and test out your new features with, um, and w without kind of requiring that it become a part of like the bolts or something like that immediately. It's fascinating. Cause yeah. that's like one, like one of the big, uh, questions out there, like competing implementations, can they live together? And that's been a question in Bitcoin since Bitcoin since as old as well, Bitcoin. The nice thing about like lightning is it is just a fundamentally different kind of network. Whereas, uh, you know, Bitcoin, we all need to come to consensus on who has what. Um, whereas lightning is kind of like this routed network where me and Nadav can live in isolation and transact with each other without disturbing you ever. You don't need to make sure we're not inflating money or whatever. It's just on, like, say, if Nadav was counterfeiting money and I didn't verify it, I'd be out. But uh, the underlying blockchain itself, uh, Bitcoin, or you as another Lightning user would be fine with that. So um, there is just less um, dependence that flows through the network that everything is, like, properly accounted for. I mean, obviously, if you're a direct counterparty to somebody, you want to make sure that they do have yeah. the funds that they claim to have. But you as a third party observer are not going to be harmed by that. Whereas in Bitcoin, you know, you can print if there was an inflation bug like about a year ago, uh, that would have affected everybody because mm -hmm. it was on the base blockchain level. Yeah. So going back to auditing your peer in the lightning network, how would you do that? Opening a channel? Mm. <laughs> uh, let's see if I can remember. Uh, so the bolts keep changing. So this might be an out of date view of how this works, but, um, uh, so there's some information that is known about you as a node, um, assuming you're a public node, uh, just from your kind of broadcast about yourself. There are these node announcements when a new node uh, comes to the network and opens a channel that get gossiped around to everyone. And they, I believe, include some feature information. Uh, so that's uh, one thing you can know then when you open a channel with someone, assuming it's a public channel. Um, you also have a channel announcement that gets gossiped, which tells you about the version or the feature versioning information about that channel. Um, but now say you want to open a channel with a direct counterparty. I believe you negotiate these features during the like open channel messages, but someone should definitely double check me on that. But by some t taking it a bit more abstract, um, essentially you via messages either from the counterparty or from gossip uh, can gain information about uh, which features they support. And then furthermore, I believe if it's like channel specific stuff that doesn't need to be gossiped, when you reach out to them and you're like, I want to open a channel, then you specify like what features you want there. And if there are any even features they don't know, then they like, I'm good cut you off. It makes sense though. Like if you're going to open channel, it's like, Hey, if I'm going to open channel totally. with you, I need to know this, 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 and this. Yeah. So you can imagine in a future where we're using PTLCs, you know, Schnorr based, uh, lightning channels, you could, well, it, it depends on how they're implemented, but there's, there is a world in which we transition via adding some, some feature stuff to channels where some channels support HTLCs, some channels support PTLCs. 
And I guess I, I just want to back it up a little bit here with like actually confirming that your user has the funds they claim to have because yes. Lightning had a big bug Oopsies. earlier oh, this yeah, year. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> about this. Rusty uh, called that out, right? Uh, yeah. So the funny thing is everybody had implemented the spec correctly, but the spec was wrong. So Well, it, it left something out. Yeah, I call that wrong when you don't <laughs> validate. The other person actually has the money they claim to have. But like, so that, that would have been an example of, let's say again, Nadav uh, had opened a channel with me. I didn't go verify on the blockchain that Nadav actually had the funds that he claimed to have. And then he could start routing things through me uh, and send, I would be send. say he wanted to route something through me to pay you, Marty, or TFTC. Um, I would, you know how lightning works. It works actually where I pay you and then Nadav pays me. However, if Nadav, if I didn't actually validate it, that Nadav has the money he claims to have, I would just, just be paying, paying you me. and Nadav would be like, ha, ha, see ya. It's just like a, <laughs> it's just like a fuck you attack, right? Like, yeah. Um, like, so fuck you. going to the point of, it is very important to validate that people have what, have what they claim to have on the blockchain because that is the collateral that backs this entire system. And again, Lightning, uh, I, I think Rusty claimed responsibility for that, although it was a bad enough bug that somebody should have. Oh, I wasn't trying to. Bug. I wasn't trying to uh, <laughs> and, blame and Rusty. I was saying I, he he made it aware on the mailing list, and correct. all of the implementations yeah. had this. Yeah, it was a. Just bad overall. Yeah, that's a bad fuck up there. Yeah, that's a bad fuck <laughs> I think I remember tweeting that. Like, yeah, uh, it's a bad look. But yeah. that's a good thing about the Lightning Network, right? Like, you get to uh, export this experimentation mm-hmm. above the protocol level. So totally. mistakes like this are, are less, uh, I don't want to say severe, but catastrophic mm-hmm. to, mm. to the long-term survivability of this well, yeah, and system. Again, it's just, you know, the different kind of setups and architectures of these cryptocurrency networks i think maybe that's the generic term um whereas again a blockchain everybody needs to know about everything that's happening there whereas lightning you can live in these little your own little universe without having to have everybody uh concerned about what's going on so that's and more and more so with the new proposals around trampoline routing and and various other ways of kind of being a a lighter node who only needs to know just about like their neighbors and some some other information and uh yeah there's there's no uh you know dark looming threat of consensus problems lying overhead well let's jump into that like routing so routing is like huge obviously it's a bit of a pro not a problem but it's could be a problem to be solved a problem to be solved exactly (laughs) so things like channel factories help with this correct Um, um Depends what you're trying to do, I guess. Uh, are, are you talking about just like routing in general, like liquidity management? Yeah, just, and just making sure that when I go to pay an invoice, it gets routed. Totally, yeah. So there's there's all sorts of considerations and tons of people working on this. Uh, Renee's pro- he's getting his PhD on this topic, I think. Um, Rene Picard, yeah. for those that don't know. Go look at his demos on yeah, YouTube. Totally. Um, yeah, but essentially, you know, there's the issue of managing your own liquidity, which is kind of like there's uh, this difference between inbound liquidity and outbound liquidity where some or all channels uh, kind of have a fixed amount of money that can be in them, but uh, it's 
in its directional money. So some money can be spent and some money can be received from my point of view. And if I've got some channels where I only have spending money and some channels where I only have receiving money, it's usually going to be in my best interest to kind of try and move my money from where I can send it to where I can receive it so that it's kind of balanced. So I have sending and receiving money everywhere uh, so that people can use me for routing. Because um, if I only have receiving money somewhere, then someone can't, uh, I, I can't route through that channel. Yeah. Uh, but so there's proposals about doing that kind of generally via your like friend of a friend network, like keep a small picture of people you're connected to and who they're connected to. And then like, maybe we all, because everyone will be doing this, do like kind of free payments to ourselves, or maybe we like pay some tiny fees to just pay to ourselves. Um, and then so there's some proposals, I think uh, JIT, just in time routing, is about uh, kind of doing this rebalancing as the like as I'm actually so someone's trying to use me for routing and I'm not ready for it. I can like rebalance my channels and then finish the route rather than what we would do traditionally, which is just fail the payment. Um, and there's there's lots of other kind of considerations going on there, but I like loop in. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I think loop in, loop out stuff applies more to channel or liquidity management in the sense not of where my money is on the Lightning Network, but whether it's on the Lightning Network. So I can take money off the Lightning Network and bring it on chain, or I can take money that's on chain and bring it onto the Lightning Network without uh, uh, having to like open a new channel. Yeah. So like uh, you know, going back to kind of like big economic entities, like the concern there is you know I've got. I started with a channel with somebody. They had a thousand Bitcoin on their side of the channel, and then we've transacted a bunch, and now I have a thousand Bitcoin on my side of the channel. Like, I don't want that on the line. Like, I want to take some of that money offline, and that's uh, where the loop product comes in. Um, going and just talking about you, you were hinting at this earlier. Um, you know, we've been writing a lot about this enterprise kind of grade Lightning Node stuff, and. Uh, Part of there, there's considerations in there with liquidity management as well, um, you know. So let's, uh, let's let's make an example out of this. Uh, Cash App, great company. Cash App. <laughs> uh, let's Use assume they were, uh, you know, operating a very large Lightning node, and um, you know they have people constantly transacting with them, depositing money into Cash App, taking money out of Cash App. Um, they. De they again have different infrastructure requirements than like smaller economic entities have when operating a lightning node. So um, this blog post series that uh, we've kind of written about this enterprise grade architecture came out of conversations we had at lightning conference uh, with uh, some of the biggest exchanges in the space about like, Hey, what are your just baseline requirements for operating this stuff besides security? And like, uh, the first thing that they said was being able to fail over our nodes. And what that just means is if one node goes down, I need to be able to spin up another node within seconds and mm -hmm. continue customer deposits and withdrawals. Preferably without a person involved. <laughs> Preferably without a person involved. So I have like a kill switch already. Or a, not a kill switch. A, a reboot switch yes. more yeah. like it. Yes. So like, you know, whatever happens, you know, stuff goes wrong in software and computers all the time. Um, you Sometimes plan for lightning it. strikes. <laughs> that was a really bad one. <laughs> I love it. Talking um, about dad jokes earlier. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jeez. Um, uh, so, yeah. Uh, 
you need to be able to reboot your, your node quickly and continue operations. And like this really got us thinking um, again about what are the unique challenges that come with operating a lightning wallet uh, compared to operating a normal on-chain wallet. And, uh, you know, we, we came out with a kind of a bunch of different answers. Um, I'll talk to the liquidity management piece first because it's uh, kind of what we were talking about before. Um, if you have a lightning node, it's well connected. There's a bunch of liquidity coming in, going out of it, your cash app, you know, you're doing business and that lightning node fails. The naive thing to do is just spin up another lightning node instance, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you spin one up, uh, elsewhere on AWS, you ask people to connect to that one. Then you got to wait the 60 minutes or whatever it is for confirmation time. Then so, you have to force close all the other channels. You have yeah. to force yeah. close all the other channels. You move those funds into the new channels. It, yeah. it's, you it's also terrible. have to have people just find the new node. It's a new node ID. It's a new IP address. Someone's possibly. Someone's got to pay those fees. Someone's got to pay those fees. Um, so, you know, we started looking at kind of generally how these nodes are structured and like, how can we make it so that if node A crashes and burns, which is say cash apps main node, and, uh, we need to boot up node B, how do we make sure everything that was pointed at node A can be safely transferred over to node B as if nothing happened. And, uh, we, uh, you know, figured out kind of the components of the lightning node architecture we need to tease out and pull out of that one machine that could possibly fail to be able to boot up this node b in a seamless way that allows people to continue operations in a matter of seconds rather than having this kind of purgatory where uh you've got all this liquidity going to a totally failed node and everybody needs to you know bootstrap uh liquidity around this new node yeah. and to be clear node a and node b are to users the same node mm -hmm. uh they they have the same pub keys they yes. have the same node id they look the same the fact that they're different nodes is something that should only be known by the people exactly. who have a node fail and let me try to describe how you guys set this up so node b is getting updated every 30 seconds correct and it's got like a pro how do you say protest prostagel What's the uh, database that you use in the back? Oh, oh Postgres. 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 There we go. I <laughs> yeah. told you I'm not a good developer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So the the Postgres. So, and what, what Marty's uh, kind of pointing to here is like the key part to take out of these current Lightning nodes. The way they're all set up right now is the database lives on the same machine that the uh, rest of the Lightning application logic lives on as well. So if you make this database remote. That means you can now spin up another node in the in the cloud and then point that node at this already existing database and safely transfer over all that information. There is a catch here though, and this is the 30 seconds that you're hinting at. Um, you need to be very careful to make sure both of these nodes cannot access the database at the same time because if they do access the database at the same time, this can cause a weird corrupted state on your lightning node, which would mean that you possibly risk losing funds on the network because you are out of sync with your peer more or less. So the 30 seconds is a lock timeout where node A has exclusive access on the database. If it doesn't update that lock, the lock expires and node B can obtain that lock and then continue as if nothing happened. Just move from there. So if anything, there's maybe a 30 second delay in 
uh, your yeah. node being operational. And we're, we're, I, I think 30 seconds is conservative personally. Uh, and also there's lots of optimizations right now. We're literally just doing like one lock for the entire database. We're not caring about like all the channels are lumped into one group, etc. And so, uh, this will certainly be improved upon a lot in the future, but yeah. So uh, right now the thing that we're kind of describing, the thing we have working has a, uh, is it 30 seconds it's, on the thing that's working? Yes. Yeah. Uh, has a, a 30 second delay for this for this failover to happen, but that's just because we're being scared. And <laughs> I mean, I, I think like our overarching goal here is to just make normal software people comfortable. We're trying to reduce the problem of operating a lightning node down to common software problems that people face every day in the software engineering or DevOps industry. We don't, we want to reduce the number of problems that are specific to lightning to, and uh, so, so that people are just comfortable with this stuff. So, yeah. So for example, uh, the thing we've described essentially is to make lightning nodes stateless and move the state elsewhere. Uh, and then we can kind of take these stateless things, and if one goes down, we can boot up another one without having a state change. Uh, and this doesn't solve the problem, because now we have the problem of like, well, how do you maintain the state and make sure that isn't a problem? But that is something that's already dealt with in industry all the time. It's just like, how do you manage a database when it needs to be up all the time, and it needs redundancy and all these other things? And there are just solutions out there for them. Yeah, and it seems like the architecture of this uh, fallback system is simple enough where you can have even more redundancies than just the one fallback node. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And um, a, another like problem that's comes along with this, uh, going back to if node A and node B aren't the same node, Lightning has a unique problem where invoices are signed by the node that serves them. There's a digital signature on them. So that means node A and node B's invoices, if you aren't using the scheme we just talked about, are fundamentally incompatible with each other. That means you cannot pay uh, an invoice that node A gave you. You cannot pay that to node B. Whereas Bitcoin addresses, it doesn't matter what wallet it's served from, right? Like you can get a Bitcoin address from anybody's wallet. You can always pay to it. Um, you can imagine with large Bitcoin exchanges, like they have customer support ticket issues already where if anything is different or weird or conf you know things aren't confirming on the network, they get a bunch of support tickets. That's going to be something that ends up being a problem in like these failover schemes uh, as well. So that's another thing that we uh, think is like cleanly solved by this kind of um, architecture that we're talking about. Yeah, no. So I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, like a necessary uh, yeah. product if we want to take it to the enterprise level. Totally. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Though. It, it is probably worth mentioning that this isn't done without trade-offs. And so the, the reason that, you know, you might not want this done to like your mobile wallet, well, or, or at least not like your personal, like if you have got like a Costa note at home or whatever, uh, the issue is that, um, and, and this is kind of an issue more generally true for lightning channel backups, which is essentially what we're doing by taking all of the state externally and making sure it's redundant and so on and so forth, as we get like backups for free. So we're doing backups and also a bunch of other stuff. So we've got uh, these kind of enterprise standard backups uh, and the, the well-known cost on Lightning right now to doing backups is that um, you have to backup and write state externally to like a different machine in this case, maybe in a different state, maybe in a different country. Um, every time you update 
anything on any of your channels, meaning if you're routing, meaning if you're paying, meaning if you're receiving. And so if like every node on the network adopted these backups, suddenly routing would take forever. Because <laughs> it just I, fuck with latency. Yeah, because essentially like every, if say you have like some crazy 10 hop route, now every single node along the path, you, you're adding network latency of not just communicating between peers, but also each peer or each node or each hop on this route also has to go talk to a database in some other place. So it's analogous to full nodes uh, gossiping new blocks to each other. Uh, is that correct? Would um, that be correct? Or, or so the, the difference here is that what we're adding is not more latency between peers, but rather we're adding like a bunch of external network latency, okay. which and, is much slower. And, and this may be something, again, like... Uh, we are taking for granted because we went through like the steps for this, but um, there is a lot of messages that need to be sent back and forth between lightning nodes to actually complete a payment. I think it's five. It depends on when you start, start and stop counting. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, you can update a bunch of things at once and there's all sorts of other stuff going on. And, and what Nadav is talking about here is he's saying, so there's, let's just say five messages that need to be sent to complete a payment. That means for every one of those five messages being sent, you go to the database, you send the message, you go to the database, you send the message, you go to the database, you send the <laughs> yeah. message. Like, so like that, and that's just to do one payment. So that kind of like adds up. It takes uh, time. And, and again, as Nadav was kind of hinting at, if you have this 10 route uh, or 10, ten, ten hop. hops on the routes, you, that means everybody's doing that. So it's like you it's kind like of have this 50, compounding. Like 50 database rights, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't know how, many, how much people, this is, I think an ongoing question with lightning and I'd like to hear your opinion on this, but um, this is, I, I don't know if I see a lot of concern about latency on the lightning network. And do you like, I, I don't know, do you think that's a concern or not a concern or wh where's, where's Marty at on this? Or have you thought much about it? Then that's okay. If you haven't, I get pretty pissed off after five seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like with that, like I use zap, uh, it's my go-to lightning wallet. And once the, uh, once the circle goes around the lightning bolt, like yeah. six to 10 times, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Mm. And then I start worrying. Then I like go back to, I switch to my invoice, see if that got paid, see if that was completed yeah. and back to Zap. See, that almost causes me more anxiety than <laughs> uh, like doing an on-chain transaction in that sense. So like, I mean, this is something I want to make sure we as a network aren't totally forgetting about is like, uh, you know, if we want this nice payment UX, we need to make sure that the things that, uh, we know we're building in like don't incur like a ton of latency overhead too, or at least we have systems or the network is somewhat designed around that stuff or at least, you know, put it in as a consideration. So, yeah, and I think part, part of the issue is right now, uh, lightning isn't necessarily, or m most of lightning use isn't necessarily a bunch of like really latency sensitive activity. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm going to send you a little bit, like just a little bit or, uh, yeah, things like that, you know, y'alls, th things like this. I mean, it's not that these things aren't, you know, as you mentioned, like if it's going longer than five seconds, like that's too long. But as opposed to like if currently all lightning was being used for was high frequency trading, like we would be having a very different kind of tone around the discussion of like our backups okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. And it comes down to like who you have channel or channels open with, right? Like mm -hmm. I... There was a new service, a new lightning service that spun up, and I paid an invoice uh, to that. It just became like it becomes if you've used lightning long enough, it just became obvious that uh, 
the channels I had open were not connected to this node. Yeah. Obviously, I didn't have a direct channel open with this node, and maybe it wasn't connected to the peers that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I might be like a, a more technical user than uh, our target end user at the end of the day. So I don't know if uh, other people would recognize that and be like, oh, this is what's going on. Like, yeah. Maybe I should open channel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I, the routing prop, like, I don't know. There's also a security story on who you're opening channels with too. Like you have, you probably should open channels with people, you know, especially you have a lot of money on lightning because the security model is slightly better going back to the private key stuff we were talking about earlier. Um, they can steal less money from you if it's somebody you have some trust in yeah and, and or so essentially i think what what you're referring to is that um if you're you know you're looking at all the different keys some like if you lose your funding private key like too bad uh or no actually here this is a great example if you lose your funding private key um and you lost it to your counterparty then too bad they can just literally spend the two of two multi-sig on chain now, if you lose your funding private key not to your counterparty or your counterparty's friendly and it's someone you know and someone you trust, then you are not at risk of losing those funds and you can just force close the channel or they can f- force close the channel um, without really any any risk assuming that they are friendly to you. So the, the security story for whether or not your counterparty is someone who you trust uh, really changes the game and... Uh, that might mean that, like, in the future, you have, like, your larger channels with people you know and a bunch of small channels with people you don't, so you could still have access to those funds but without really exposing yourself as much to having those hotkeys be uh, stolen because many of these hotkeys, if you trust your counterparty, they kind of act as, like, you're on a two-for-two two multi-sig with them, and if you lose your keys, uh, depending on which keys they are, uh, then they can actually protect you from losing funds. No, this just seems naturally how I, how I uh, created my channels. I had fatter right. channels with people that I know. And can mm-hmm. It was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is, I guess, like how you'd expect things to work out. I think if Lightning does evolve as like a, say, retail payments network, is like you probably connect to people you know or connect to, you know, retailers that you do a lot of business with or maybe liquidity providers along the way. Um, I don't believe in the model of just like, Closing my eyes and like pointing into the network and just randomly connecting. To that's why network. I never liked autopilot. Yeah, I think that's probably a little misguided. I don't. I think that is autopilot kind of going away, or is it I, unpopular? Um, it was very unpopular. Like I, I shut it down as soon as I. Yeah. As soon yeah as I, I'm sure it'll get better eventually. It's it's uh, from what I've heard of of people who have used it and not liked it, it uh, is not not ready for for prime time yet but uh i i i don't know i i can't imagine that like 20 years from now we don't have like an autopilot running our liquidity like there's no way that we're going to be managing all of our own liquidity as just normal users of the lightning network yeah but it's it's certainly a really hard problem no definitely but and i think a lot of people who are like oh this needs to be perfect out of the box number one are impatient and number two <laughs> well they're using lightning so it might make sense yeah but <laughs> but again like this is lightning yeah. you still are your own bank at the end of the day and like totally. if i'm a company like when i was creating uh opening my channels when we first spun up our node like 
I treated it like I was opening like a company bank account. Opening the company bank account took me days where the checking account. Yeah, exactly. And uh, opening the lightning channels only took me less than a day, a few hours of just DMing people being like, Hey, I'm going to open the channel with you. Would you please open back mm. buying some liquidity on uh, lightning power users, buying some liquidity on bit refill um, via Thor. Um, and like a lot of people like want this to be perfect out of the box. But again, if we are really taking this stuff into our own hands, there is going to be some some work by the end user that needs to be done because yeah. the benefits of the network are such that it's worth it, I think. Yeah, and especially at this phase where, like, I, I would be surprised if very much of, like, I, I, th- I think a vast majority of the words in the bolts will be changed over the next couple of years. Uh, you know, we were, well, once we get Taproot, We'll, we'll have Schnorr and we'll be able to have PTLCs instead of HTLCs. Um, we'll, What's the difference between? Yes. We've so been, we've been. Uh, sorry, my bad. No, uh, no, it's not your yeah, bad. Yeah, HTLCs stand for hash time lock contracts. So that's essentially just a contract uh, where you. So the hash lock is you can have this money if you reveal the pre-image to a specified hash, and then it's also time locked, meaning the other party can claw back the funds you don't claim these funds with the pre-image to the hash after some time lock. So that's an HTLC. Uh, a PTLC is very similar. It's a point time lock contract where instead of a hash lock, which says you can claim these funds if you have the pre-image to this hash, um, it's a point lock, meaning you can claim these funds if you have the pre-image to this point, where by pre-image I mean scalar, and by scalar and point, you want to think private key and public key. So like mm-hmm. math speaking, you know, you've got points on an elliptic curve. We have our numbers, which are private keys. You can turn any number into its corresponding public key, which is a one-way function, or so we claim here in Bitcoin land. And um, hashes are also one-way functions, but they're quite destructive in that like you don't get any nice properties between your pre-image and after the function. Whereas when it comes to private keys and public keys, they actually do have some nice properties. Like I can add two private keys together. And then if I took the public key, I'd get the same point as if I added the two public keys for those private keys together. So you kind of, when you're hashing, you're destroying useful, non-sensitive information. And so by using points instead of hashes, we still keep things one way. Like you can't compute the private key from a public key. We've got much bigger problems than like, how's lightning gonna do if you could do this? Mm-hmm. Like that would just kill the base layer. Um, but so you still have that one way property uh, where revealing the public key tells you nothing about the private key, but it still gives you these nice properties where you can do a bunch of stuff. And so PTLCs are better in every way than HTLCs uh, for lots of reasons. They actually seem easier to explain, just point at a point on the curve. Yeah. On the Totally. So instead of using hashes as our kind of irreversible reveal the pre-image to this wonky one-way function, rather than using hashes, just use points or using public keys, like reveal the private key to this public key to claim these funds. And would a point be like a... Uh... Uh, think like pr- a public key yeah but i'm thinking of like a bad analogy here. Oh, okay like uh you an analogy man too because <laughs> i am um no i'm terrible at analogies but like a gps coordinate like on the, hmm. the hash curve a gps coordinate on what sorry on the curve like fuck. yeah yeah i mean it, it's coordinates yeah yeah coordinates. there we go no, uh, a pub key uh despite being like 33 bytes of hex so like 66 oh shoot is it it's 66 characters of hex. 
that's actually just like an X coordinate and one hint that is all you need to compute the Y coordinate. Yeah, why even bring GPS into this as an X and Y coordinate? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm it's okay. I, I, li I liked where you were trying to go with it. I was like, God, that's a good idea. We need to figure out a good analogy. <laughs> yeah. I, but, think, I think just using the X and Y axis is <laughs> Yeah, it's all right. But yeah, essentially, um, right, point being lightning is, is going to change. And not only is like, you know, big structural stuff like that going to change, but we get changes in all the time, like, I know this isn't recent anymore, but like TLVs got added. Now you can customize what's inside of your onion. We're adding new features all the time. Um, I think uh, some implementations have actually added support for these kinds of things. I know LND has. Um, and uh, yeah, just generally, I mean, we might be getting L2 someday if we ever get SIG hash no input on chain. That's E-L-T-O-O for yes. the freaks out there. L2. But, I mean, I, th I think, um, uh, so have you heard of PTLCs or... Uh, this idea of using points rather than like no, uh, hashes. You guys, you guys are like a, somebody who prides myself as a. Well, so to stay <laughs> this is like this, this is like a very interesting thing because I think this is like I, I think this is maybe the most significant thing that we can do on Lightning to like improve just a bunch of stuff and maybe the reason it doesn't get talked about more is because it requires a base layer change, right? Yes and no to almost everything you said. So <laughs> let me get into it. Um, so uh, it's it's criminally underpromoted. I feel like these PTLCs because like are I, you saying I, I'm doing a bad job, Chris? Well, I mean, like I'm, I feel like I'm not. It's probably my responsibility. But like this is something I you know I hear that's kind of like rumblings in the technical community that mm. is not necessary for some reason is not uh, making it to the forefront. I don't know if it's just because we've been like ah uh, like we need to change the base layer and we don't want to talk about things that like that require a base layer change or yeah, so there, there are a couple reasons um one is as you kind of mentioned it's not something we can do today uh as is so it's not something we necessarily require schnorr for there are other ways of achieving this but none of those are implemented either so seeing as schnorr does achieve this and it achieves it better than any of the alternatives no one's working on anything that could work today might as well wait seems like schnorr has a good a chance of getting in yeah uh, Chris is mm, come on, Chris. Like, Stop it with that. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> All right. Quickly. Why not? <laughs> well, I mean, we're still changing the Schnorr BIP. Like it's not it in got, any serious way. It, it got way. modified. It, it was week. a tiny little <laughs> tweak. It'll happen. It's it's fine. Okay. I I am proposing a a prop bet for everyone out there that's listening. <laughs> All your freaks. We're it's, gonna we're, we're gonna make tweet, a DLC tweet, for this. Don't, I think. don't spam my Twitter, but spam <laughs> spam Marty's Twitter and maybe Nadav's <laughs> about. January 1st, 2020, have we deployed 2021. that one? Uh, I'll take you on the first one. <laughs> have we deployed the code to activate Schnorr or not on the Bitcoin network? Like our nodes? Not, not having an act. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is there, is there a release of Bitcoin Core that contains the code to like have it activated? I'm going to let... Uh, let people smarter than me debate about that. <laughs> that, that that's I've been I've actually moved the goalposts. I've been asking people that question since October. The clear over I used to say, is it activated by January first, twenty twenty one? Almost everybody said after that. Mm. And now I'm saying, is it deployed by January like as in again, a Bitcoin core release that contains this stuff? Is it deployed by January first, twenty twenty one? So yeah. I want to hear people's opinions. Segway took a lot longer than people thought it would. Yeah. Guys, right. let's not jinx it too much. Okay, sorry for, <laughs> sorry, sorry for interrupting. Yes and no to all my questions. Yeah, <laughs> okay, PTLCs. Um, yeah, so, so the first thing is uh, you, you need uh, 
to be able to implement point locks on Bitcoin, this most likely comes in the form of what are called adapter signatures. Schnorr gives you adapter signatures for free. We could uh, add some like zero knowledge, some, some relatively, so it's all relative, relatively light zero knowledge proofs to libsec pzkp and implement these things um, with, without Schnorr, but no one's gonna actually work on that because we're working on Schnorr. So uh, once we have adapter signatures, then we can now do a bunch of other stuff, but basically it's like once we have Schnorr, then we can do a bunch of work, and then after that, we can like get all of the fruits of our labor. So um, kind of some things do come for free though. So you get, uh, the moment we have a Schnorr uh, payment decorrelation, I feel like is, is pretty well known and I'll explain what it is um, amongst developers. So right now, the uh, have you heard have you heard of payment decorrelation before, Marty? I have not. Okay, so payment correlation. So you'll know what it is, though. It's um, if you are paying someone on the Lightning Network, it's going through a route. You're using a hash to synchronize all of these payments. Everyone's using an HTLC with the same hash, so that uh, once the person getting paid reveals the pre-image, that which is how they claim funds. In order to claim those funds, they must have revealed the pre-image, which means the next person can claim their funds, and it goes on and on and on. So the problem with this is that every single routed payment on the Lightning Network links every single hop. If the hops along a route are communicating with each other, say you have like two nodes and they're friends and they're like gossiping to each other. Just real quick, it's the same pre-image that's revealed through along every... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can only move it to the next app if you reveal it. Yes. Or you can only claim your funds if you reveal the pre-image to the hash. Mm -hmm. But if someone claims their funds from you, that means you must have learned the pre-image and you can go claim your funds. Okay. So you're never at risk at a, as a router because you have the same hash set up on the person who you're receiving from and the person who you're sending to. Um, and so it, that's what makes it atomic, is it's made atomic using mm -hmm. this hash that's okay. all the same. But the problem is if the hash is the same everywhere, say you have like, uh, I'm or someone's paying through the three of us, and uh, me and Marty are sitting on the ends, by the way, and uh, me and Marty are just chatting with each other about all the things that we see, and we both notice that we both added an HTLC that has the same hash on it. And Chris is an innocent Chris is an, bystander Chris in is the middle. Chris is a poor little router in the to, middle just trying to make to get an taken honest advantage day's of. fee work. And um, so what happens here is I set up an HTLC to Chris. Chris sets up an HTLC to Marty. Marty sets one up elsewhere, and someone has one set up to me before all of this. And they all have the same hash. So we can immediately tell that we're on the same route. And now when the claiming happens, Marty's the first person who learns the pre-image because the person who got paid claimed their funds, claim, claim, claim. Now you've claimed your, or now you are ready to claim your funds. Um, but what we can do if we cooperate is you can tell me what the pre-image is, skipping over Chris. Cut Chris out. So Cut Chris I'm supposed out. to go to Chris, but I can just, hey, you could just talk to me you know, and give me I the pre-image. I know that you know that I know. And then I'll go claim... <laughs> my funds and like right we're, we're cooperating we trust each other i'll send you the funds i would have had to send chris otherwise um and so on and so forth so what we've done here is a we've stolen all of the fees chris would have gotten and it chris could be like a bunch of nodes in the middle right we're just like two nodes we don't even know how far apart we are on this route but we know we can steal the fees of everyone in between us and not only can we steal their fees but say marty's you know had a bad day feeling malicious he can like not fail malicious marty malicious marty that's a good uh yeah that's a good acronym right there <laughs> <laughs> um so it's he can decide that up not to fail 
his payment to Chris and just like keep Chris's funds locked up in their HTLCs until the timeout of that payment, which can be quite a while. So it's a free attack. It's a grieving attack as well as a fee stealing attack. It's also a huge privacy problem because you can set up a bunch of nodes around the network to like, and you're eco economically incentivized to do so because like you can make money by doing this, by stealing fees. Um, and you can just set up a bunch of nodes on the network, listen around, try and get on the same routes, and also try and build a network of who's paying, or a picture of who's paying who. So this is in hash world. Now, if we move over to PTLCs, like I mentioned, points have this property where if I add them together, the pre-image to my new addition point uh, is actually just the sum, the addition of the two pre-images. So what this lets me do is me, as the person setting up the payment to some other person on the network, I can add a random nonce to every single hop so that they all look completely different. Like I've added a random number at each step. And so no two people on the same route have recognizable linkage between one another. And more so, they can't do this bypassing of the people in the middle because they literally have different pre-images. The math would be wrong. Exactly. And so the protocol works out so that every single hop when you're routing tweaks by their tweak, um, and you tell each hop what their one tweak is, uh, the pre-image to their tweak only. Um, and then the person who you're paying, you tell them the sum of all the tweaks, so now they just have to reveal the, pre the one thing they know, their pre-image plus the sum of all the tweaks to the person before them, and then kind of the tweaks unfold on the way back. So we've added numbers on the way up, and then the numbers get subtracted on the way back to where I'm the only person who learns the pre-image to the thing that was in the invoice. So the, uh, the tweaks, the nonce tweaks along the way, you may not necessarily know every node along the way, but you can say, hey, uh, node one gets this tweak, node two gets this tweak. You don't yeah. need necessarily know the specific nodes. Uh, or is that so, correct? So the, in in the which, Lightning Network, when you are setting up a payment and you are the person paying, like the originator of the onion, you set up the entire onion, you choose your route, and you know okay. every single node along along the route. Okay, so that happens. Okay, that yeah. happens upon initiation of the invoice. Yeah, so, so the person who sets up the payment is uh, also the person who generates a bunch of random numbers and uses them to tweak everything along the route. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like the uh, probably main motivation that uh, is behind PTLCs. Like there's a, pay, or a paper called uh, Atomic Multi-Hop Locks is I think where a lot of this... Sanchez or Pedro? I don't Moreno remember. Sanchez. I'm sorry. Sanchez. Thanks though. <laughs> um, but great work. Lot, yeah, great work. A lot of this stuff got formalized there and with some like security proofs and such. And they also did uh, a lot of work on kind of formalizing what a wormhole attack is and why it'll always happen in payment channel networks like the one we're in right now. Um, but so now that this is out there, uh, it's, it's been a while and we've come up with a bunch of like other new things that you can do with payment points. Segway. 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 We love segways segway. here. Segway to DLC. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can get there. Okay. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to say. We've been getting uh, very much into the nitty gritty <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. of the technical details, but I'm happy. I love getting into the technical details. Yeah, sorry about that. But that's my natural state. But uh, yeah, let's... What are we going to be able to do with this shit? Like, yeah. what are the use cases? Totally. So... DLCs. With these this nice additive property, you can do a ton of stuff. And I've written many blog posts and I'm in the process of finally getting around to the new series of payment point blog posts coming to you soon at shortbirds.com slash blog. But 
Um, Good show. Plug. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Um, uh, so you can uh, essentially, there are a lot of proposals out there right now where you sacrifice uh, proof of payment uh, in order to do something cool. So for example, atomic multipath payments as they are implemented uh, today, actually as they're not implemented today, so that's multipath payments, AMP, the other proposal for how to do this stuff, uh, and many proposals out there have this problem where since the person who's setting up the payment has to do a bunch of stuff, they actually end up having to know the pre-image to the hash in order to construct any of this. Now, that's not a problem if the sender knows it. It's only a problem if people along the route know it. But it is a problem because they can't actually learn anything atomic with payment completion. You don't get a receipt for your payment mm. if you're doing an atomic multipath payment. Uh, it's called the proposals like OG AMP. They're like multiple AMP proposals. But, um, so you just know that it was paid. Yeah, and there, there are a lot of things like this. So a spontaneous payment is the simplest one. Just real quick, because you, you skipped over this really quickly, is a proof of payment in, like, it is just this pre-image that we've been talking about being revealed mm -hmm. or one of these uh, private keys that are essentially being revealed around, along the route. Yeah, so uh, today in the Lightning Network, you can use this hash pre-image from the HTLC to, as a receipt of payment because you get it if and only if the payment completed because someone must have claimed their funds from you in order for you to receive this pre-image. So it can be used as an, a receipt on the application layer and your accounting stuff. Um, it can also be used to make things atomic with lightning payments. So say like I send you a bunch of data encrypted with the hash pre-image and now only if you pay me can you get the key to decrypt this data. Mm. And you can do a bunch of stuff like that. But if you want to do, say, spontaneous payments or invoiceless payments where I just pay you without you having to invoice me, I had to generate the hash. And so I don't actually get a receipt for my payment. Okay. So this is the easiest problem solved with PTLCs. All we do is you add a point to it. <laughs> and then there's the thing I knew that I had to construct to make this proposal work. But then you can always add something you know, and I can use that as my proof of payment because I know the rest. So I'll just subtract it away once I have the pre-image. And you just send that along with the payment or you have... Or yeah, it's, it, it depends on the, on the proposal for, for exactly yeah. how like my stuff gets set up. But say like you're doing an AMP, I set up a bunch of you know different sub payments and then I send you something. And then only once you get all of those things do you learn what my secret is. And beforehand, I knew your secret. And if you add those two things together, now you can claim it. And then I learn that sum and I can just subtract my piece away, get a proof of payment or a receipt for my payment. So that's the first thing, which leads us into the next thing you can do adding points to stuff. And that is, say you have an oracle someplace that is just broadcasting Schnorr signatures of whatever. Say like, is the Bitcoin price going over 10K this weekend? This is the HODL not index, I think is <laughs> like what they say on so, Will it ever go up? No, will it ever go under? Yeah, you've got to put a time, time uh, out on that for this to work, but anyway. Um, so say you have an oracle of something and you want, or a better way of putting it, you just want a payment to be contingent on a signature. It can be from a person. It can be from an oracle. It can be from whatever. So let's be specific with this $10,000 yeah. example. Totally. It could be something like Kraken or Cash App is using an oracle service. Like, Hey, we're going to give you our price feed. You can pay for that. Totally. Is that a good example? Uh, yeah. So they would have to do something specific where they are broadcasting Schnorr signatures of things in nice formats. But so long as they are following a spec that we're working on, that should be fine. 
uh, any, any person who has data can just sign that data, and then those signatures can be used to make contingent payments. So essentially, what I can do is I, Schnorr signatures have this nice property where a, a Schnorr signature is just a number, and every number has a point on an elliptic curve. If I treat it like a private key, I can compute its public key. And it turns out that the point associated with a Schnorr signature, uh, you can get from just the person who's signing their public keys. I can use your public keys and the message that you might sign to compute this point whose pre-image is your signature. Let, let, let's be specific here. What's the message in our Yeah, example? so in this case, the message would be like, over 10K, three exclamation points. <laughs> they're either going to sign that or they're going to sign sad. So those are the two options that they've said in their API docs or wherever else that, that are publicly known. They're going to sign one of these two messages. And probably if they're responsible, they should also serialize those messages into like hex or something so that people don't mess up when they're doing that. But anyway, so we've got these messages that they are going to sign and they're going to sign one or the other. And I want to make a payment contingent on the, it's over 10K, uh, is that shoot? Was that what the message triple, was? Triple explanation. Yeah, triple let's explanation. make sure we bound the time interval too. Totally. Yeah. So it's it's uh by the end of this weekend specifically. By block X, right? Yeah. By uh, you could do a timestamp or Using whatever you want. You it's just an Unix oracle. Time. They're just okay. broadcasting a signature. Um, so you can you can do your timeout however you want, but you should make your event specific to like some time period or some interval. Uh, that's where I fucked up <laughs> in my explanation. I think I thought it needed to be a block time. Gotcha. Block height. Or is that th there are block things it definitely involved, could be. and it could be a block time, but uh, the actual Oracle who is specifying an event and is signing something for the event, they can do whatever they want. And like the, the key thing here is it just boils down to a digital signature is what the Oracle is serving. Yeah. There is no like actual knowledge of the Bitcoin network going on here. Other, well... Nope. No, yeah, yeah, they, no, there is this, literally this no knowledge of the Bitcoin this works They don't even know that you're interacting with each chain. other. Yeah, no, they don't know about us. They're just going to post a signature up on the internet. Obviously, since I care about my privacy, I'm going to use like Tor to go to that website so they don't even know that it's me if I want. You don't have to, but you can. Uh, so yeah, the Oracle doesn't need to know about us. They don't need to know that we're using them. They don't need to know how we're using them. They don't need to know anything. All they're doing is they are putting up a Schnorr digital signature of, is it over 10K by the end of this weekend? And they're going to put it up at the end of this weekend. Um, and so I make a payment on the Lightning Network in this PTLC world to Chris uh, that has uh, that signature's point as the pre-image, meaning he can only claim this money if he learns the pre-image to this point, which where the pre-image can, we can verify, this is like not trusting the Oracle, this isn't trusting each other. We can verify that this payment will only be claimed if he learns and reveals to me the signature, where the signature would be kind of the proof. And if we wanted to add another receipt from Chris, we could say like a point Chris knows plus the signature's point. Just like I mentioned. And, and, and just uh, like backing up and adding a little bit more commentary is, you know, we always need to design these protocols. Uh, okay, backing up even more. Um, we, <laughs> are we, we are working on a DLC specification kind of in the same vein as the Bolt specification with the Lightning Network. We would like these to be interoperable with, you know, everybody in the community. We have great partners with Crypto Garage actually over in Japan. So let's, let's Japan. take an even further step back. Okay. Yeah. Discrete log back. contracts, all right? Yes. Proposed so, by Taj Draja. Yep. And at MIT. At MIT in 2017, correct? 
that's I think that was so. before me. So, yeah. so this is <laughs> this is um this is something I want to write. Like I I like to think I'm like up with the tech and uh, don't like to write about things uh, unless they materialize. Like there's mm. a lot of stuff that hasn't materialized and DLC is something that's discrete log contracts. Again, we're we're using an abbreviation here. Um, has been thrown around a lot, but I was like, yeah, is that, is that real? And then until last week, until you posted that demo, I was like, oh yeah. shit, this stuff looks real. Um, so, so discrete log contracts, uh, the way I described it in the newsletter, you guys can follow up and let me know if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. They, uh, basically allow black blockchain agnostic number one, uh, yeah. and layer agnostic, it seems totally, they allow you to create more private scalable uh, smart contracts on these systems. Yeah, and specifically oracles. So uh, essentially, uh, if you read the uh, DLC white paper by Taj, it's I think five pages, it's not very long. And most of it is just describing what Schnorr signatures are. Like I only realized halfway through it, I'm like, oh, wait, this is what all this Schnorr stuff people are talking, like that, that's just this? Okay, that's, that's not bad. But yeah, so most of it is just a description of Schnorr signatures and a comment on how you can compute the public key for a Schnorr signature without knowing the Schnorr signature. You just need the a public point on keys. the curve, right? Or something. Yeah, so you can you can you can compute the point on the curve that corresponds that whose pre-image is the signature just from the signer's public keys. Is is the nice property that Schnorr signatures have. And then simply like the next step that uh, this paper takes is, and this is, has nothing to do with lightning. This is entirely on-chain workable today. We've done it today. Um, is you can create, uh, I'll simplify a little bit and then I can tell you where I lied, but you can create say like a, a two of two multi-sig where one of the keys is mine and one of the keys is just the point associated with a specific signature that the Oracle could put out. Um, and then I could throw that on like an output uh, that so say we're like speculating on something that the Oracle might put out, whether it's above or under 10K by the end of this weekend, for example. Um, and uh, we could both like put money down into a two for two multi-sig between us. And before we like sign any of that, we create all these different things spending it, whose outputs use these various possible signature points. Um, one per event that we care about. Think of it kind of like a lightning setup. Yeah, so in your yeah, demo, it's, you it's, set up... It's kind of off-chain. Alice yeah. sets up three transactions, right? Yeah, and so we, we sign all of these off-chain transactions that spend our funding. And then we sign our funding once we're all good, publish the funding, and then we wait. And now, uh, if anybody broadcasts one of... Or actually, they're time-locked, so you can't even do that um, because we changed the spec, so it's good now. Never mind. Uh... So now we wait, and then the Oracle, at the end of this weekend, broadcasts a signature. You know, shout out case, Cash App. Yeah, shout <laughs> out Cash App. Um, Pull that mic like, right in front of your face. Shout out Cash App. No, 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 not for that particular. Not for that. Oh, just in general? Just in general. Yeah. Okay, sorry. No, you don't have to talk into it like this. I'm saying. Uh, oh, gotcha. Make sure you're, yeah, direct, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I've been using the mic keep incorrectly. Talking, keep no, you're okay, fine. is this good now? That's perfect. Okay, awesome. My bad. No, the, no you're, you've been coming out loud and clear. Cool. So, um, yeah, so essentially, once the Oracle has broadcasted one of these signatures, we, before they did this, first of all, if any of these ended up on chain, we wouldn't be able to spend them because it requires this key for this, like, two of two multi-sig. But once they broadcast their signature, that signature is, like, a private key in this scheme, and I can use that, weirdly, I use that signature to create another signature of the transaction, 
Um, and now I can spend that two of two multisig. Now the problem with doing, I'll just tell you where I lied. The problem with doing a two of two multisig is that you literally put the Oracle's signature points on the blockchain and tell everyone that you are using the Oracle. And this is a, a, a key thing I think to highlight here is the private nature of this uh, scheme. The goals, and, yeah. yeah. And like how it's maybe different than other Oracle schemes is like how Nadav is about to say how the Oracle does not know that you're using them and how important this is at the blockchain level so that the Oracle can't play games being like, oh, I see that uh, Nadav is speculating on this 10K Bitcoin price yeah. and maybe I want to say something different now that I see Nadav has like, got this big old contract out there. That or it could be like somebody outside the Oracle knowing that they should attack the Oracle. Right? Totally. And so there's bribery, there's bug bounties, or not bug bounties, but just bounties. Uh, there's all sorts of these kinds of considerations. So the goal is the Oracle never learns who's using them. The Oracle never learns how it's being used. And the Oracle can't even see if there's like non-cooperation and you publish everything to the blockchain. They cannot see that they've been used. Um, so it's fair to say, in short, no blockchain taint, right? No, no, no footprint. No footprint. Yeah, uh, of any kind. And so how we do this is... We, rather than just using like a two of two multi-sig on chain, we like add my key to that point with some other stuff. Essentially, we just hide it with some random stuff uh, in such a way that uh, only I can spend it. So it has to include a public key for me in this composition that's going to happen off chain in a standard way. Uh, it's, it has to include the Oracle's point so that the signature is required. Uh, and then it has to be untraceable. It has to look random. It has to look like a normal public key on-chain. So on-chain, it looks like a single key spend. But it turns out that that public key is not actually mine. It's only something for wh whose keys I can compute if I get a signature from the Oracle. And mm -hmm. it's untraceable otherwise. It looks completely random. Uh, and so all a DLC is, is it's, uh, you have, you've got like a funding transaction on-chain. And then the Oracle broadcasts a signature on whatever you've been speculating on. And then normally two parties should cooperate just like in Lightning. We just like spend the two of two multi-sig as it should be. But if there's non-cooperation or someone disappears, then you don't need the other party. This can be executed unilaterally by just publishing one of these off-chain transactions that we signed early on. And that requires the use of the signature is how we actually um, enforce this the signature the signature the from the with oracle the, with the data yeah um yeah and that's that's what a discrete log contract or dlc is um it's it's essentially a comment on how you can use schnorr signatures uh to do stuff with like points it, it kind of you can see how this relates to my work on the lightning network with ptlcs um but it also is is just a comment on how like if we had a bunch of standard oracles, right? This this is all just Schnorr signature stuff, like public key elliptic curve math. So this is not blockchain specific. It's not layer specific. You can use it anywhere. One one discrete log contract oracle can be broadcasting signatures for like an unbounded number of use cases. But guys, the Oracle needs to be decentralized. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the interesting thing about this is like you can actually you can aggregate Oracles too. It seems like you solved this problem though. Like, yeah, so so there's there's a some people may say the Oracle should be decentralized and what they're saying is Is that even possible? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> Which is my favorite answer to any yes, <laughs> yes. or no question. <laughs> this is our Slack, Nadav. Yes yeah. and no. <laughs> no, my my girlfriend's parents 
they they say I say it depends. Like <laughs> they, it's a joke that I say it depends to everything. Um, they think I'm too political, but oh well. Or not political is not the right word. Uh, You're uh, too uh, too good at maneuvering conversations. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, to... smooth. Smooth. Smooth yeah. operator. That's what you like to. Think That's not what they say. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, yes or no to should it be decentralized? So, um, there are all sorts of can it be decentralized? Can it be? Yeah. So th- there's all sorts of uh, at a high like abstract level. The question is, my application requires trust, right? There's no way to do this on any blockchain, like a derivative or whatever, without having a source of truth for what the price was at the time that the contract matured, uh, or or whatever my application might be. It requires a source of truth, and it, since it's not something about the blockchain, it needs to come from elsewhere. And it needs to come in the form of a digital signature almost always. So the problem is, where do I put that trust, and how do I mitigate that trust are kind of the two questions. So mitigating the trust is, is one thing, but where, where should I put that trust? So some might say, decentralize your oracle, which means take a bunch of like untrustworthy sources and like just spread it, spread your trust thin among all of those. Um, Reasoning about security for these things, these decentralized things is a mess. Usually rich people can just decide what the truth is in most of these schemes. It's, it's a, it's a giant mess. Yeah. That never really made sense to me. Yeah. And and, and I, I think the reason that is, is because we live in a world where there is trust. Like we, we like to talk about, you know, trustless stuff all the time. But if you look at businesses today, like A, they have recourse and B, like even in interpersonal relationships where, you know, I might not sue you if you cheat me out of something, but like it does have consequences and just, we have a trusting relationship, right? There's, there's trust to be had in the world. And I advocate for rather than spreading your trust thin across random untrustworthy sources who could, you know, in, in these contexts always be just one very rich untrustworthy source. Um, instead, uh, you should spread it not too thin, but spread it amongst multiple trustworthy sources. And more importantly, multiple trustworthy sources who are incentivized to give you good data. And that's what I think totally your solution yeah. uh, really solves with the ability to blind tip these oracles. Yeah. And, and that um, gets into kind of mitigating the trust. So the, the first part is like, how should you trust? And in my opinion, it shouldn't be randomly, but not much. It should be like a little bit more, but spread out amongst trustworthy sources for which there will be some kind of recourse. Uh, is is kind of the first mitigation. Uh, But then you get into some more interesting mitigation. So like you kind of mentioned, using the Lightning Network, and I don't know of any other way of doing this other than using the Lightning Network. Um, The Lightning Network has a property where if I pay someone on the Lightning Network, they don't know that it was me who paid them. Like the payee never learns the identity of the payer. There are caveats about information leakage all over the place, especially in HTLC land. But um, generally speaking, we have, you know, someday we'll have that property. I'll put it that way. Um, (laughs) And we're definitely nearer that property than anything I know of right now. Um, So we we have this property where I can pay somebody uh, and they can know that they've been paid for a specific invoice that they put out there. Um, and they don't even need to learn anything about me 
other than that I'm like within a radius of 20 hops on the network, which is probably like the whole network right now. Um, it's probably more than the whole network right now. Uh, yeah, it probably narrows it down to like not those three nodes, but anyone else. Um, anyway, so you can do this thing where uh, rather than just broadcasting uh, the data, you go to the Oracle via like Tor or some other onion routed thing that also protects your identity, or maybe on the Lightning Network once we have better messaging over the Lightning Network, and you, uh, via them not learning who you are, ask them for an invoice for this data, and then atomically, like we mentioned, using pre-images, you can pay them where they get paid a small amount and I get a signature in a trustless atomic way. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's essentially the same thing as I described earlier with Chris. I make a contingent payment on them giving me that signature is all it is. Um, and then once I have that signature, I can use it in DLC schemes. So that's one thing is we can incentivize them by like making it a profitable business. Uh, where A, their reputation matters because they've got some stake, they'll lose business, um, and B, like, here's some money, give me a valid signature, please. Um, just makes a lot of sense. Uh, another mitigation is I can use multiple oracles. Um, so there, there are lots of ways, that this, the, the easiest way is to just add them together. Uh, make it like an N of N, and two of let's, two. Let's, within let's a certain a, variance or something like that. Too. Say again? Like the, the data being within a certain variance. Totally, I yeah. Think. So you can you can do ranges. Uh, I, do you have any sponsors besides Cash App? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unchained Capital within them. Shirt bits. Uh, Shirt bits. So, yeah. Shirt bits so and Cash App. and okay. Cash App both uh, have oracles for whether or not the price of Bitcoin will be over 10K at the end of this weekend. And you can set up your contract using both of those oracles where they both must sign the same message in order for this to work and like some refund or whatever you want to happen happens uh, if they disagree or whatever. You can default to one of them. You can choose to just refund both parties, not execute the contract. You can do whatever you want. But the point here is that the oracles don't need to know that they were both used. The user doesn't need to tell anything to either of the oracles. The oracles can get paid if they set up this scheme using lightning. Um, and they don't learn that they've been used even in the case where people aren't cooperating and everything ends up on chain for everyone to see. Um, so there's that as well. So another way of mitigating trust is use multiple things rather than just one, and this is what you should always do. You can even use thresholds, so say like three of five, four of five. Uh, this gets much more complicated. I won't explain how it works. Uh, I'm not 100% certain in any of the possibilities, but I'm sure one of them must work. Um, and yeah, so there's that, the, the really cool one that is kind of just for free because these are digital signatures is, um, uh, digital signatures while well, any good digital, not any good, I shouldn't say that, but Schnorr digital signatures, ECDSA, the signatures we use in Bitcoin have the property that if you sign two different messages using the same keys, then you leak your private keys. Mm -hmm. So if you know, I have my public key that's out there and people are expecting a signature with that key. And if I, using the same... Let, let's set this up with a concrete example yeah, around yeah, so it. Say, like, we can't use Cash App for this though because this yeah, is like bad yeah. acting. Uh, Short bits. No, no, we're not bad actors <laughs> either. Uh, 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 Mount Gox. Cash. Mount, Mount Gox. Gox. Okay, Mount sure. Gox. There we go. That's a good one. Yeah, Mount Gox uh, is an oracle now and they are, are here to make money and they are going to tell you one thing and they're going to tell your counterparty something else. Uh, maybe they're not even here to... N not even necessarily your counterparty. What it would be like maybe... Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Let's say, uh, 
me and Nadav have a spec a bet on Bitcoin price being over 10k, and then Nadav and Marty have a bet of Bitcoin price being over under 10k. Yeah. Um, Nadav is on both sides of the trade. So yeah. with Marty, he thinks the price is going to be under 10k, and then with me, he thinks the price is going to be over 10k. Yeah. So and I'm already could, being foolish. And you but could grease. <laughs> you could try to grease the oracle. Is that what we're saying? Uh, or, or so here's here's a uh, uh, so so what we're actually saying is say that the oracle is being malicious in some other place and say they tell you it was over 10k Marty and they tell Chris it was under 10k I'm gonna lose all my money <laughs> this isn't good for me so but I get a free mitigation against this this is called equivocation they're saying two different things happened if I ever see two digital signatures of, of meaning the same keys different events, different messages. Um, if I ever see those two things, it's like pretty simple math. You just like subtract them, do a quick, whatever. You, you plug it into LibSecP, whatever, um, and it pops out the Oracle's private keys. If you see two signatures, you get their private keys. And so what uh, Oracles should do is they should just have pay to pub key or pay to pub key hashes on chain. And so now I'm gonna go over to Mt. Gox's like funds and just take them. Boss. As as like my repercussions for for me losing all of my funds. This is so, this could be built in. Uh, yes, it's it's actually it's not that it can be built in. It's, I can't it's, think of a way that it can't. It's be inherent built in. to the system. It's inherent to the signatures. So like Mt. Gox does not necessarily have to. I don't know what the correct word is here. If it's like stake funds, bond funds, like I don't know, escrow. Like, publicly escrow stake funds, or escrow, yeah, yeah. publicly stake funds. They don't have to do this, but we think probably with Oracle schemes, it probably. But they're be incentivized good to do so because why would I use your Oracle if you're not staking funds and someone else is? Yeah. Um, and and so essentially, what it does is all of these are away when you're reasoning about oracles. They raise the cost of bribery, right? You want the cost of bribing your Oracle to be much higher than the amount of money tied up in that Oracle. Right. And so all of these ways, splitting it up amongst different oracles lowers how much you get by bribing an oracle, right? Uh, having this non-equivocation built into it means that it costs a lot to lie in certain instances. And uh, there, there are other things you can do as well. Some of them get quite complicated and involve meta oracles, so, which, you know, are reporting on the oracles. You can also just have your normal, like, reputation systems and uh, these kinds of things. Yeah. But it seems, yeah, it seems like a lot of... A lot of people uh, talk about them, and no one wants to implement one. <laughs> that, but it seems like this, the Oracle problem has been uh, complicated more than it needs to be. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, at, at a high level, all it is is you have to find somewhere to put your trust, and you've got to find some way to mitigate that trust. Yeah. You know, I thought like you actually explained that pretty elegantly of like you know spreading your trust either very thinly across a bunch of people, or you know maybe across a few people, but you have more trust in them, like. It is a trade-off. And again, we are not trying to say in any sense that like this is completely trustless. Like there, We are and trying to mitigate trust. You are trust. bits when you use us we, as an oracle. We, we are trying to mitigate so trust, right. but we cannot uh, extinguish it. it. Yeah. yeah, I think that's impossible. Gentlemen, uh, pee break? Yeah. Yes, sure. yes okay. please. Okay, I'm going to pause right now and we'll okay. be right back. All right, pee break done. <laughs> it was great. It was a good one. And then we had like it a little... much needed. We had like another 20-minute conversation after <laughs> the break. We've got like three hours worth of content. 
only an hour and 45 recorded so far, but I feel like we've been chatting. I was yeah. speak too fast. <laughs> well, I feel like probably a lot of it was very dense content. So thanks. No, it's for... good. No, I, I was actually thinking of this as you guys were describing everything. We ended it on uh, oracles there, but mm-hmm. I've learned the most uh, from this conversation that I have in a while on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I, I like to think we are thinking about, uh, I guess longer term stuff and, and stuff that can be, you know, practical in the short, shorter term. Um, you know, one thing I guess I wanted to touch base on with the DLC stuff is again, we're trying to make this specification that anybody can follow, um, you know, putting out transaction formats, kind of being thinking about this. Like we think about the bolts, um, we're working with a company out of Japan called crypto garage and, uh, they have actually executed some DLCs uh, with Blockstream and SKU with different kinds of financial contracts. So you can go find that if you want some like real world use cases of like what these DLCs have been used for already. And yeah, and they're working on implementations as well. So we're kind of parallel working on implementations and then uh, collaborating on specifying things. And and again, like the long term goal of this specification is, as with any protocol, I think it should be have the goal of lifting it up into layer two off the chain. Like we should only revert to the base layer when things go really wrong and we need to settle dispute um, in the happy path. Uh, there should really be nothing happening yeah, on the espe- blockchain, especially since the actual uh, server side Oracle stuff is layer agnostic. Like, might yeah. as well specify that. Yeah, and so this is the point I wanted to get to after all that Oracle talk is that's been my thesis about Bitcoin for a while, especially in the, the overarching landscape of Bitcoin and everything else is everything else is trying to uh, build things that Bitcoin is quote unquote unable to uh, do yeah. or support. But I've always said like, eh, over time this stuff will come in yeah. either the protocol or second and third layers. And it seems like it's happening. Like, do we need uh, a world, computer with its own scripting language that yeah, I, executes this on its own blockchain maybe in a future in a future uh tftc session we can go into some conspiracy sh- theories of mine shirtbits uh <laughs> research we'll call it that uh nadav may have a blog post out on yeah, this my, my bold claim which i won't back up here no is do it do that, it um if you have a solution quote-unquote solution like if you have some black box for the oracle problem which is currently needed for anything you want to do on any fancy blockchain that's out there uh then you can do anything that's any that's on any fancy blockchain out there without the fancy blockchain let's dissect that let's dissect that. seriously like, um yeah i mean so at, at the I'll, I'll keep it short the basic like dumb way of doing it is just like pure escrow like if you have a nice way of like distributing your trust amongst a couple different trustworthy escrows with the right incentives with the right punishments with the right trust mitigation in the same way that we've been talking about oracles then you can do like a two of three multi-sig with another party and again you you hide the fact that it's a two of three multi-sig so that the escrow doesn't know it's been used or you can even you know do like a five of seven where it's us two and then a three of five escrows or something like that but anyway so you do like a two of three where it's me you and an escrow and like if we're cooperating cool and all that can happen off chain, of course. And if we're not cooperating, either one of us can unilaterally go to the escrow, show them our commitment to like a contract written in C++ or whatever language you want, and then they can sign off on it. 
And so if you have a way of solving the Oracle problem, you don't need a blockchain to enforce contracts. You only need a blockchain to enforce like digital signatures and the movement of funds from one place to another. It seems more scalable that way too. It kind of does. Yeah. Especially since all of that can happen off chain in any cooperative case. Yeah. And, there's a lot of people who think otherwise that so you need to do it all. Well, I mean, it, it feels like, I mean, if, if you're at, like what we're doing right now where we're like executing DLCs on chain, like obviously that's the first place to start before we go off chain with anything. But it kind of feels like going to the grocery store or someone, this isn't my line. It kind of feels like going to the grocery store with like a bulldozer and being like, give me my groceries. And they're like, <laughs> yes, we want to give you your groceries. You're paying us. You don't have to bring your giant like tool to facilitate this interaction yeah yeah Yeah, it seems clunky totally and that's i mean that's why dlcs were proposed by tadge right to do a more scalable way yeah yeah and uh these uh two of three escrow things have been thought out on how you do them using ptlcs and a certain blog post and mailing list post that's out there the mailing post is not mine, but the blog post. This is, is Z-Man? Yeah, so was this is Z-Man SCPXJ's uh, idea. <sighs> yeah, you, I, uh, I memorized <laughs> it. It's always, it's always uh, uh, we're, Matt and I always like try to do it on the go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Z-Man XCP. Z-Man SCPXJ. XCPXJ. It's Z-Man like Z-Man, and then SCP like server copy. It's a command and a command line, SCP, and then it's just XJ. You just, like, X sub J. It's a normal math Z-man thing. SCP. If you look at it enough, you yeah, can if, remember if you, it. Uh, he has nice capitalization <laughs> in there. So yeah, if you're on the mailing list enough, it just happens. And this is the, uh, uh, it's, the it's emails a, on the Lightning mailing list or the Bitcoin dev? Both. So okay. the, the one on Bitcoin dev that I'm referencing with this two of three escrow stuff is called Smart Contracts Unchained. Uh, and then he wrote, a.k.a. Ethereum Considered unnecessary or something like that i forget uh and then he's uh, a savage <laughs> after that there was a post on the lightning dev mailing list about taking it off of uh off of the uh base layer and just entirely onto payment channels yeah, z-man seems like a beast yeah that that man is a very his, productive guy his and now he's, he's his lightning conference talk was hilarious he, he's full-time by a square <laughs> yeah, now i'm like god yeah. like how are we ever gonna keep this guy was doing this part-time how are we yeah, ever gonna keep man. up with him like boss he's on every post on the ma- not every but most posts on the mailing list that guy is so productive but one other thing that i guess we're currently drafting is basic like logical structures like ands and ors mm. using uh, for payment points for payment points PTLCs. yeah which is yeah. I, I think it's fascinating because it's starting to get back to like you know basic like how how we re- represent basic computation stuff is mm. like ands and ors it's kind of like how we you know a circuit's designed yeah, and, and specifically he's referring to like ands of points is just like adding them together and then ors is doing these like fancy secret exchange stuff that you can do with points as well which i I'm not going to have time to, to talk about today, but <laughs> so, I am writing a blog post. Active about area right of now. research. But like, if we can actually get this right, I think that starts thinking is like, okay, do we have this general computational model then? If we can start like representing yeah, these things I, I here, think, I think Open the, question. The, the, a good point to take away from what you're talking about is that although we could just be using two of threes with a bunch of escrows. And that's like, in my mind, like a proof that all you need is a solution to like the Oracle problem to do anything that would require an Oracle. Um, 
that doesn't mean you should be doing that. And like that there are better ways that uh, have all sorts of like privacy properties and so on and so forth that can go completely off chain, be interoperable, not, not just interoperable with lightning, but like indistinguishable from normal lightning activity and stuff like that, uh, which is an active uh, area of research. And of course, we can't really implement it today, which is why it's just an active area of research. But hopefully someday, you know, we'll pull DLCs up onto Lightning. We'll pull all sorts of stuff uh, into Lightning. And most of it will just look like normal Lightning, which is already really private. It's just going to take time. Freaks. Yeah. Why are people so fucking impatient? Because <laughs> I want it now. Right? <laughs> I do, though. It's, like, do. it's so cool. <laughs> people think it's all going to come out of the box, though. Like, how yeah. that just logically doesn't compute. Uh, well, I, at least we don't. Uh, I feel like we kind of underpromise and overdeliver in Bitcoin, and not overpromise and deliver nothing like some other chains. So, yeah, throwing that, some shade. Sorry, guys. Um, no, that's one thing. Actually, somebody uh, brought it up at last. I don't even know who's lap, last bit devs or somebody said it on Twitter. Somebody was asked like, uh, like, does the price reflect? It might have been Matt Crowell on this podcast. Actually, does the price reflect like? the development progress to date and people, uh, somebody, I forget who it was. Does was it like, or has it ever? Or what's the question? Like the question is like, does the price reflect development oh. progress? Like the, the utility of Bitcoin. Nah. You think it's under? Oh, Oh, I, I see what you're saying. I thought you, you're asking like, does the movement reflect movement? No, no, no. Is it correlated? No. And this particular person, again, I don't know who, it, I can't remember who it was said like if Bitcoin was, uh, like orders of magnitude, the mm. price was orders of magnitude higher, probably would be too high and wouldn't reflect like the pace of innovation happening. Like it, we're pacing nicely with the mm-hmm. price right now mm. at the protocol level, which I, I feel like, uh, like development price discovery takes a while. So yeah. Oh, it's going to take quite a while. <laughs> I, I think it would be more interesting relative proposition, like relative to other chains, like, uh, where, where is it at? Like rather than just kind of like this absolute one of like, is Bitcoin price, where development is in Bitcoin itself or is Index Bitcoin it against. Yeah. Like, cause like, you know, you got something to compare it to. And it's, I guess. it's really easy to do a controlled experiment on. Cause I can just fork Bitcoin, <laughs> call it an Adov coin and see what happens. <laughs> it's happened many times. <laughs> I, I, I just want my own coin. No joking. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's actually quite shocking how many people have fallen for that. I thought that it would you be know, successful. Okay. <sighs> More speculation. Um, so <laughs> big thing in 2013 bull season was altcoins. Big thing in 2017 was ICOs. In 2021, what is the big thing? That's like this like scam. People were saying IEOs, but I don't think that's really going to be as big. I don't know. I don't know. I, I was kind of leaning towards stable, like not the stable coins we necessarily have out now, because I think for most part they're Central bank legit. coins. Yeah, I think it's going to be like shady that's stable for... coins with like, oh, you're going to get this yield on this stable coin. So like deposit in here or like thing, things kind of Isn't of those. already natures. here with like maker? Credit coins? Yeah. I don't know. How, like, that's the thing. Like the scammers are running out of narratives. Around this. I think they're, I think they're, they, their creativity yeah, is boundless. <laughs> right. I, okay. Maybe it's uh, like the DNS and uh, uh, distributed compute right mm. like the uh was that handshakes out right now people are getting all horny i don't know the shit coiners <laughs> are at it again it's like a 
uh, a DNS system, an improved DNS system with a blockchain with a token, hmm. which doesn't make sense to me off the bat. But um, I don't know. Slide slide into Marty's mentions and like, let him know what the next scam is going to be. <laughs> at, in him. <laughs> at him. But no, everybody. I could ask that question a lot, but honestly, over time, the seven years I've been studying this space, like in more particularly the last two and a half, three years, three years almost. I've just decided to focus on Bitcoin because it, like I've learned throughout time that like it's you do waste time wasting mental energy on that stuff and worrying about it and mm. just heuristically over time focusing on Bitcoin uh, is a better uh, better uh, use of my time like that's why I only write about Bitcoin only talk about Bitcoin it's not worth I mean and not to say I'm not intellectually curious or or that I am just uh narrow-minded i've just been i've just seen i've been burnt personally and i've seen too many people get burnt it's like all right until something is like uh obviously better which i, I doubt will 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 happen like it's not worth allocating time to in my opinion yeah maybe especially I'll if you're not interested in like some really high level application layer stuff because i feel like that's that's where like you know, we're, we're building out our solutions to our Oracle problems in, you know, thoughtful ways and, uh, that kind of thing. But, uh, that does mean that like, we don't get around to like tons of various like user experiences and application layer stuff that we, you know, will get to eventually that, uh, you know, is easily done poorly elsewhere <laughs> yeah no there's an order of operations to this thing too like and um yeah, and there yeah it, it always I, I get a little confused when i see like people who have their own coins i won't name names but like go on podcasts or interviews in general or you know record videos of themselves in which they refer to their thing as an experiment but their thing has like billions of dollars in it or whatever and i'm like Someone's being misled. Yeah. <laughs> like it's okay to experiment, and I'm all for that. Plane but, is in the air, though. But yeah, <laughs> yikes. Yeah, I mean, no, and that's why I stopped calling Bitcoin an experiment. And because... that's why I'm bullish on DeFi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I well, am, you, you but just had that's Paul, not why. <laughs> Paul Storka on recently, which you know he's kind of a, a hard advocate for things like side chains, which is the original goal of side chains was to allow experiment without uh, redoing the monetary network effects of bitcoin but yeah i mean various reasons that's why i'm in is like keep it simple stupid as long as we get sound money in the digital age like that's a big enough endeavor in itself like everything else is just extra Mm -hmm. and bitcoin has the best shot of doing that the 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 one downside of not being able to just hard fork is it would be so nice if we could just take a year to like polish the Bitcoin like code bases of the world and like get rid of all of our off by ones that are part of like consensus code and stuff like that. But that's a pipe dream. And I would I'll, say- I'll just live with the grime. It's fine. Like people <laughs> liked star Wars because it looked lived in. So, well, no, that's the other like, Bitcoin's <laughs> imperfect. Like, a, like a lot of these competitors want to create a perfect system. I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. I'm no, lucky fair. to have people like, uh, Rosinovsky, uh doing the hard grunt work to sort of separate that stuff and make it a little easier, right? Yeah. Um, it just takes time. Yeah. Russ is a legend. Russ, if you're listening to this, which I highly doubt, 
Yeah. <laughs> Russ has a life and like, you know, <laughs> like he's a normal person, just works hard on Bitcoin all day and goes out, probably walks his dog or something. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing what you do if you're listening. Yeah, seriously. Um, gentlemen, we've been crushing this for more than two hours now. What uh, Do you have any parting notes for the freaks out there? Anything you want to touch on? Anything? Um, I guess another thing I run is Chicago BitDevs. Um, <laughs> uh, so if you're in Chicago and listening to this, uh, we are actually just going to a new location. Thanks to the Loyola folks, specifically Adam Patel um, is helping us organize that. So if you're Shout technical in the uh, Bitcoin community in Chicago or want to learn more about how Bitcoin works at a low level, uh, come hang out with us. We do our best to replicate the excellent bit devs you guys have here in New York City, but uh, we're spoiled. You should. Uh, everybody should come out to New York at least once and go to New York City bit devs because it is a experience. Yeah, so. and we don't have a bit devs out in Boulder, but we do have like essentially a weekly meetup, and also occasionally I like throw a workshop together or someone does something cool. So come to that if you're ever in Colorado. Well, thank you for doing that, and thank you for starting the Chicago bit devs because yeah. uh, my experience in Chicago. Uh, it's always been blockchain, not Bitcoin. Yeah, we're hopefully we're going to change that. You know, we've been going about seven or eight months now, so we're still getting off the ground. But, you know, we got 10 to 20 people that regularly show up. So, you know, we'll never be as big as New York. But uh, we've got that core group, which is the hardest thing to get, frankly, when you're starting a meetup. So, yeah, and don't... Uh don't count out uh, hitting parity with the New York bit devs at some point. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Uh, I've been going to bit devs since 2015 or 2016. Um, no, and that core group is, is essential. Yeah. Um, so any freaks in Chicago, make sure you check that out. <laughs> and then uh, otherwise, uh, obviously, company shilling, Shirtbits on Twitter, yeah. Shirtbits.com. Is there any um, code review that can be helped with? Uh, Anyone who wants to contribute to the discrete log contract spec is more than welcome. Come like join our Slack and chat with us, email us, post PRs, post issues. Bitcoin dev mailing list. Uh, we're like, there. I will personally respond and I will not be mad at you or like judgmental or anything. You can just like help me with some of my work, please. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, thank you for building short bits and helping Bitcoin out. This was a, again, I learned more than I have in quite a while on this podcast. Yeah. Um, hopefully it was good and we can do it again sometime and hopefully we'll have as much information as we did this time. <laughs> well, uh, we'll find out if it was good tomorrow when we post that. I'm pretty, <laughs> confident, I'm pretty confident it will be. Um, again, thank you guys for doing what you do and for swinging by the studio. Thanks for having us. Enjoy bit devs tomorrow night. I'm not going to make it to send my, my best to everybody. Sure thing. Peace and love freaks.